on episode 104 of Pixel Gaiden. We have an expensive cartridge battle. Tim talks HAL Labs pinball games. What's your favorite 8-bit mascot? We keep you up to date with the news. Cody talks virtual pinball. Why no more E3? Eric teaches Cody about dredge. What's up, Mr. Cheezle? And things get a little bit western. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the one and only Mr. Eric Nelson. Hello, Cody. How are you doing? I am doing swell, my friend. It is a beautiful April day. The spring has sprung, finally. Easter happened. I had 40 people over at my house for Easter. Wow. That's a ton of people. It went over quite well. A lot of people pitched in and helped, and it was it was good. It was good. So, and I'll get up to I'll, there's there's a, maybe a little video gaming that happened during Easter. So that'll that'll be on catching up. I'm sure next episode. That's how, cool. How has your April been so far? April's been pretty good. Uh, the day before Easter was my birthday. So oh, happy birthday! I got you nothing. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's exactly what I got you. Perfect. Perfect. Um, but yeah, so I had a relaxing day. I did nothing and it was everything I thought it would be and, uh, had a nice dinner and just video game some of that day. So it was pretty cool. Very cool. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know already, you are in the number one place for retro video game and retro inspired video game talk and entertainment. My name is Cody Hoffman. I'm Eric Nelson. And this is Pixel Gaiden. Uh, we are part of the Amigos Retro Gaming Network, which includes other great shows such as Amiga Everything, Amigos Everything Amiga, <laughs> uh, Sprite Castle, great Commodore 64 show with Mr. Rob Flack O'Hara. Uh, we like to bring up ARG Presents with The Brent, right? That's right. Yeah. And? And let's see. The, the infamous. A- the infamous. Power Sinclair and. Uh- Atari 1200XL, and uh, they, they do so many podcasts over there. I was going to say the, Amigos, uh, the infamous Amigo Aaron. That's yes, right. yes. But um, we're a little biased. We like our show just that much better because we're on it. So <laughs> That's right. Our show's They've about never invited us on their shows. <laughs> ah, they did once. We did, we did one. We did one for like three Christmases ago. We need to do that again. That, would, that was fun. I would love to do that. So, real quick rundown of this month. Again, we break uh, we break our months into two shows. So, here on the first episode of Pixel Guy Den, episode 104 this month in April 2023, we're going to go ahead and start off with some quick questions. We are, of course, going to hear me sing beautifully into the microphone uh, about our wonderful patron supporters. Uh, we are going to hop on over and hear tea time from Tim this week, in which he talks about how laboratories and the pinball games they've made over the years, which... It's a passion project for Tim. He's been very into this lately. Yeah. Um, we are going to go ahead and hear 
from me as well, Eric, Cody's Corner will be coming up this uh, this episode where I go ahead and talk about a little something I picked up. I, I had a, a sizable pickup this month. I'm excited to oh, tell you wow. guys about it, but you'll have to wait until uh, catching up next episode. Uh, we're going to go yeah. ahead and finish this episode out uh, by, of course, catching up on the news together. Talk to you guys about what's been going on in the world of retro, as well as touching on a great battle that you came up with, Eric. Tell us about it. The battle, so the idea that I had was that we were going to battle two very expensive cartridges. So I didn't want to want to make it the most expensive cartridge on each system because that that varies every month, right? Like just, it's like the price of gold. It just goes up and down. So really we're going to name this one the pricey cart battle. And that is going to be between Little Samson on the on the NES, which last time I looked goes for about $800. And versus Golden Axe Warrior on the Sega Master System, which goes for about, I think it was 200 250 something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think those are the two most expensive cartridges that were just kind of like uh, standard <clears throat> releases that anybody could buy if they chose to. You know, a lot of these right. were kind of weird versions or competition versions or prototypes or whatever. But these are just, these are publicly released. Okay. Uh, and then we're going to go ahead and release another episode, 105, at the end of the month here on the 30th. And when we do that, of course, Tim's going to join us. We are going to go ahead and have six good games. And you came up with this one, too. I really like this one. Yeah, the six good games are is going to cover arcade sequels, where the original one was an arcade game as well. Not, not ported to a computer or whatever. Or maybe it was, but the main thing is it is an arcade sequel. Perfect. Uh, where the original one was the was in the arcade as well. Perfect. And of course, we're going to catch up and we're going to have ourselves a game show. And then we also are going to throw in a little Eric's take next month or next week as well. Correct. And my Eric's take is going to be based on a conversation I had on Discord, which everybody who is one of our Patreon subscribers or on the Amigos uh, Patreon system is going is invited to be on Discord. And I was on there in our forum having a conversation with Lord Soup. And we were talking about an old project that I did in 2015. And it got me thinking about a lot of old projects that I've worked on over the years. And so I decided just to make a make a Eric's take about three projects that I've done over the years. Perfect. That being said, yeah. you've seen what we're going to get up to. Um, Let's go ahead and catch up. Quick questions. Actually, we're doing the news. Actually, we're not doing either of those things. We're doing quick questions. So, <laughs> at this that's point... Right, that's right. We this, blew that. We double blew it. You know what? At this point, the listeners had no idea. I've put the right sound effects in. It sounds amazing. Let's just keep on moving. Good deal. Uh, <laughs> quick questions. And Eric, you have the first quick question for us this month. Yep, so I'm going to try to word this a little better as I say it here. So someone found new source code for a game that was to be be released back in the day, but never made it to market. <clears throat> um, and he, he's, they're going to release it. And it's in one of these. What, which franchise do you hope that it's in out of these three choices? Is it a new Mario game that's found? Is it a new Sonic game that's found? Or is it a new Kirby game that is found? Good question. Which one would you hope for the most? 
So I'll say the first one I will knock out is Sonic because we've got a ton, we have a glut of great 2D Sonic games that have come out lately. So that I feel like true. it would purely be kind of a, a neat kind of a footnote in history if it was Sonic, whereas yeah. Mario and Kirby, I'd be excited about playing a new old school Mario and or Kirby game. Um, Kirby, I'm going to cross off because I, there's a ton of Kirby games out there I have not played yet personally. That's true. So I already have Kirby games available. Mario, see that both these, I mean, all these franchises have a ton of releases, but I think if it was a, like a hidden one, I think it has to be a Mario one. I think the only reason they wouldn't have released an old Mario game is if it was like some kind of weird, you know, Mario 2 2 or something like that, where it's just so far off the beaten path. They're like, this isn't even Mario anymore and it's funky, and I just want to see what that looks like. So I'm going to go with Mario. Yeah. Okay. That's a good choice. So <clears throat> you're you Sonic, know, clearly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've made it clear that Sonic's not my favorite franchise, even though I'm warming up to it. Uh, but that's not what I would wish. And with Mario, I mean, honestly, I wasn't a Nintendo guy back in the day, so I wasn't really all that big into Mario when everybody else was. Um, but I always really enjoy Kirby games. Like, I get a lot of I get a lot of playtime out of Kirby games because I yeah. will play those close to the end, like Adventureland on the NES. Like I, I loved that. I played it, I played it all the time, and I eventually beat it. Um, so I think I'd pick. I think I would pick Kirby, especially if it's a good old fashioned two D Kirby. Absolutely, which it would be. You got me into to Kirby actually, which is surprising. I never really played Kirby, but um, yeah, the NES Kirby is in my probably top five. Love that game now. Mm-hmm. And I really haven't given the Game Boy one too much time, so I got to get either. back to some classic Kirby. I even had um, one of the Super Nintendo Kirby's, and I ended up selling it. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately, but I still have the ability to play it on my Super NES. So, yeah, and I will say that even the newer 3D Kirby's are not bad. Like the ones I've played are are pretty fun. Yeah, you got the brand uh, new one, right? The Switch I one? didn't. I downloaded the demo and beat the demo. That's what but it was. I never, okay. I never bought it because it's like I'm starting to. You're kind of rubbing off on me in that I don't like to play pay full price for games, <laughs> and that new one's not really, uh, not really coming down anytime soon. So I'll probably yeah. Nintendo doesn't that. really drop prices, especially not on physical. It usually is like on their eShop. Yeah. They'll drop it down to maybe thirty nine ninety nine, and then pop it right back up a week later. Yeah, you know, like a spring right. sale or something. But okay. Yeah. Uh, the second quick question we have comes from what one of our patron followers, Josh Malone, also known as 48K Ram. He says, does interest in vintage computers extend to the demo scene for any of you? Do you enjoy watching scene productions on your old hardware or new? And I want to say I've answered this question a few times, to be honest with you. Same here. Um, but we'll answer it again in case something changed. And yeah. my ample, my, my, I have a one-word answer, and that is No. <laughs> I'm impressed by what people can do. I think it's cool that people go down that rabbit hole and get interested in it, and I can understand it. But um, I don't know if I've ever, only once or twice have I ever watched one demo all the way through. I just, like, I I, I load these things, these things up to play games. That's what I use them for, so. So, yeah, we have answered this several times, and it is good to a- ask questions again, because these definitely change. But, I would, I think I would be very much in the demo scene if I had more time. Like I'm with you. Like I have to, we have to play these games and I have a very limited amount of time. 
I mean, but even when I do have time to do something other than games, I'm just now in the last few months getting really into listening to mod files on my Amiga and listening to old like Sid tunes and stuff on my Commodore 64. And I'll throw those in the background and play them. And I do enjoy them quite a bit. Um, With that said, there was one afternoon when I was cleaning my game room and I launched my Amiga and I have this launcher called Tiny Launcher and it will actually play a playlist of demo scene stuff and it's all built into it. So you don't have to go looking for the demo scenes or whatever if you have an image of this on there. So I went in there and it will just play demo after demo after demo and I just left it on in the background while I cleaned my game room. And I buzzed to watch that for about two or three hours and I, I did enjoy it. Some of the music was outstanding. And, you know, I'd glance over my shoulder and watch, like, the graphics and the funk. I really do think it's amazing what these programmers do and get out of it. But um, I'm I'm just not into it where I could even name one right now. Like, if you told me, well, just name your favorite one. I don't really know. But I've watched them, and they're good. I mean, I, I do enjoy it. So it's something I might get into in the future if I if I somehow came across more time. Gotcha, gotcha. And yeah, the the more recent demos are really impressive because they're using all kinds of modern hardware to create code and things that fit on the old hardware. Yeah. But make it, you know, I guess, I don't know, I'm speaking from someone who doesn't know how to program, but they're able to do new tricks and things by, by using modern hardware to make programming quicker, I think. But, uh, yeah, with accelerators and, you know, different graphics modes and stuff, they, they can achieve a lot a lot better stuff. But even with that said, some of the old stuff is very, very impressive. Absolutely. Eric, I wanted to tell you about something. Okay. It's a website called RetroRewind.ca. Oh, yes, I know it well. You know it well, RetroRewind.ca is a wonderful online retailer that will help you with everything you you could ever want for your Commodore computer or your your Tandy color computer. Everything from the Commodore 64, the 128, 16, the Plus 4, uh, the Amiga series of computers, of course, and the aforementioned handy Cocoa computers. Uh, We talk about a lot of the cool accessory and things you can buy from RetroRewind.ca, but today I want to get back to the basics and make sure everyone remembers and knows these computers are old. They are deteriorating slowly over time. They need new capacitors. You can go on to RetroRewind.ca and buy a cap kits for any of your old computers that I mentioned just now. You can also buy things such as the Amiga coin cell battery adapter. So you can take the nasty uh, Varda battery out of there, which is going to pop and explode and leak all over your board. It probably already has if you haven't touched it, it yet. It probably has. <laughs> and, you should uh, check that right now. You should check that. And go ahead and uh, get new parts for your computer. But if you don't have the skill yet, to, and I say yet, yeah, because you're going to want to learn how to solder eventually. But yes. if you want to fix those computers up and make sure they keep running, or maybe something failed on it and you don't know how to fix it, you can also send your computer to our buddies over at RetroRewind.ca, and they will fix it for a, and I do mean this, a nominal fee. Um, not only do you ship it over to them, but they will ship it back, and it comes back in a reasonable, reasonable amount of time. So don't be afraid to do that. Eric, you have done it, and you've had great results. Um Great and just, results, and I've done it. I've done it both ways. I bought a cap kit from my Amiga 500 and recapped it myself because they're all hole through capacitors. But when I got to my CD32, my beloved Amiga CD32, 
first of all, I was very nervous about working on it because if I screwed it up, that's like that was my holy grail machine. Um, and it has SMD capacitors, which I don't mess around with. I'm just not that good yet. Um, so I just literally kicked it to Frank and he kicked it back within, uh, I, and listen, he's going to, his times are going to change on repair. So I don't want to quote any specific time, but he had that thing back to me within two weeks and it worked like a champ and it still works right now. And I, and I have a very good feeling every time I boot it up because I know that that thing's going to last another 10, 15 years. So it's worth doing. And while you're on the website, getting things you need for your computer, you might as well swap, uh, swap, a few extra ducats is that a word people yeah. use nowadays uh, sure. for a for a dip chip straightener very cool oh, tool yeah. that will help you straighten out the uh, the the uh, pins on your chips as you're replacing them or reseeding them in your computer they have a resistor tool where you can put your resistors in it and bend the legs at a perfect 90 degree angle at just the right distance very simple things very you know just a few bucks each and pick up a retro rewind t-shirt which is snazzy looking as well. The key thing is if you buy something on here for $10, Eric, I can teach you right now how to get it for nine. What? How do you're, you do that? You're going to want to log in. You do have to log in first and then tell them the boys at Pixel Guidance sent you by using code PG10 at checkout, saving 10% off your entire order. So we want to thanks uh, once again to RetroRewind.ca. Perfect. 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 Uh, Eric, real quick, uh, I want to do some uh, errata, open up some beers, and then we'll move on with the show. Uh, that do sounds you, good. Do you have a beer handy? I do. I have uh, my beer bag right next to me. <laughs> it's right. a cooler well, bag. Go ahead and crack that. Go ahead and crack that bad boy open and give it a pour okay. for us. While you do that, I want to cover a few things. Oh, this is errata um, from really the last couple of ex- episodes. Um, this section is called errata and feedback. We got you know s- s- showered with uh, good feedback. So I'm just not even going to read any of that because it's just kind of self-flashatory. I'm I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and and uh, point out some mistakes. Um, ooh, that sounds good. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about when when you and Tim talked to a lot of our patron listeners for our big episode 100. Mm-hmm. I forgot to point out and laugh about the fact that uh, I think there was some lag or something going on. Every time Tim spoke, somebody spoke right over him. Yes, and it you was can tell Dan. he tried. <laughs> Yeah, so Dan, I think it was was it, it was I think it was Dan James like lost just Tim's audio feed so he could hear me and he could hear everyone else but he couldn't hear poor Tim. Oh, it's so and good. He would talk over Tim and Tim realized it pretty quick so he wasn't upset or anything but it made for a difficult you know cuz Tim would respond to Dan but Dan didn't hear him. So there was like all this talking over it it was it, it was pretty bad. It, yeah. Well, it was funny too. If you go back and listen to it, because Tim will try to say something and then stop yeah. and give and give him time, and the next time he tries, he goes longer, and then by the yeah. third time, he tries to get a whole sentence in there, and Dan's just not stopping, and he's like, "What's going on?" Uh, yeah, there was there was a, there was a technical difficulties. But then what made it even better is later in the episode, I did the same thing to Tim. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Without realizing it. So the whole episode, Tim just got talked over, which in hindsight is hilarious. But I apologize, Tim. Um, <laughs> just a couple of quick things. This is also a, a, a key for you, Eric. Um, yeah. The last couple episodes, my goodness, you, you touched the mic a lot, and we can hear it. <laughs> okay, I won't You're do it anymore. really handsy. really handsy with the mic. Well, uh, my old... So this is just pulling the curtain back a little bit on recording <laughs> stuff. I used to have a mic arm 
that was silent. Like I could move it via the arm and, and it worked great. It broke and I had to buy this new one and it doesn't move as well. So I have to grab the mic to move it. Gotcha, and gotcha. I just need to remember not to do that. And, and I, I, I am consciously trying not to touch it. So <laughs> I just had to laugh about that. I screwed up when I put um, my remake of the pixel Gaiden um, acoustic ballad that we made together. Yeah. And, yeah. And long story short, I, I double compressed it uh, because I do compression on the song. Then I did compression for the show and it just squashed that thing. I know this is kind of audio stuff. People might not know what I'm talking yeah. about, but it sounded like farty and flat the first episode. So episode 100 B, I fixed that. Uh, yeah. Anyways, but the last no one I have to, the last one I have to call somebody else out on this time. I'm calling out um, somebody, another one of our patrons. Yeah. When Josh yeah. Uh, was talking about um, the, the, the game on the Dreamcast, uh, Evolution. Yes. What was it called? Something Evolution. I can't remember the name of the game. I have to uh, call was him. Ev- oh, was it? Yeah, I don't remember. He, I have to call him out because I remember when we, when we, uh, a few years ago, we were doing yeah. a, a bit and we played some music underneath what we were talking about. Yes. And he's like, don't do that. It sounds awful. I can't listen. I can't pay attention to it. He did it. He did yeah, it. He, <laughs> he, he's, he's talked about it on our game show too. Like he oh, doesn't like the, oh. he doesn't like uh, you know the the game show music we play underneath sometimes and uh, in the kettle, Josh. And, and I in the kettle. Say, I'll say in Josh's defense, in some podcasts I listen to, when they do that, it is hard to follow what they're saying if they don't mix I, that right. I agree. I agree. If the music's really low, so I am with Josh on that. I'm not a particular fan of that either, but it can't. It, it's the it's the pot calling the kettle black. There. To be fair, <laughs> he, he did have it at a nice low volume where it was actually really nice. So. Okay, good, good. Cheers, cheers. Okay. Speaking of cheers, Eric, <laughs> what are you drinking now? All right, so I am drinking a a beer from Black Plague Brewing called Gothica. I like Ew. the name. From Oceanside, California. It is a Mexican lager. Wow. Um, it is, um, it has really cool art on it. There's like snakes with a, I don't know if you can see that too well with the glare. Yeah. But it's like snakes and stuff. And then there's like that weird. The plague doctor. I don't know what that is. Like a skeleton of a bird or something. It's a, you know what I mean? Do- the plague doctor mask. Is that it? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The plague doctor. Yeah. So they would put those masks on it and it's basically like a little cornucopia in front of their nose and mouth. And they'd put like, um, like, uh, what do you call it? Potpourri and stuff in there. Thinking that if they yeah. bre- breathed that in, they wouldn't get the black plague. And they did. <laughs> and they still died. Yeah, Bring out your dead. dad. So anyway, this is a five, oh, 6.5 or 5.5. Never mind. That's pretty, that's pretty in line with the Mexican lager. But anyway, that's what I'm having today. What are you having? Well, Eric, I literally thought I had nothing and I, and I wish I were correct. So, and and you (laughs) think you know where I'm going with this, but I'm, you don't know quite yet. Um, Okay. So all I have, which again, I am not a beer snob. I enjoy all beers. And we have sure, from sure. Easter, leftover from Easter, like a ton of Coors Light. I enjoy Coors Light. Okay. That's the majority of what I'll be drinking. However, when making room for all that leftovers, we have found this huge beer in the back of our fridge. This is a growler. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, a crowler from, uh, and it's not mine. It's from Lincoln, California from Slice Beer Company. My buddy gave me this, this crowler and, uh, he he stopped he stopped drinking like a year ago. Yeah. And he had this in his fridge and it had already been in there for a few months and now it's been yeah. a few months and a year. 
Okay. Because it's been in my fridge for that long. And okay. Crowlers, um, you know, it's draft beer. You pour in and then you seal the can on top. That's you're, right. You're supposed to have fresh draft beer for up to like four days. Yeah. This is a year and two months. Oh, um, no. So Was I'm, it flat? I don't know. I just opened it. Okay. Anyways, you can see handwritten on here. The beer is called What's Up, Mr. Cheezel. That's the name <laughs> of the beer. It okay. Is a, it is a pastry stout. Hmm. And it is 14% alcohol by volume. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah, so, I, I have a beer I have a beer coming up uh, that is a, uh, a stout, but it is like 10%. So I've yeah. got one coming. So anyways, to be fair, I will rate this beer, but it is going to be based on the fact that it is one year and two weeks old. So no distaste and you're not, to you're it. And you're not pouring that into a glass, are you? No, because I, I, I doubt I'll make more than a sip because it's so old. We'll see. Okay. It's like I wine. It's, it's got flat. legs. I don't know. We'll find out. But cheers, my friend. Cheers. I hope we make it through this recording <laughs> without you getting uh, sick. What do you think? It has the consistency of motor oil. Ooh, is it thick? <laughs> it's very oh, thick, Mister Cheezel. Oh, gee. Um, man. I mean, it tastes like a, a very heavy alcoholic stout. It's still got a little bit of uh, of bubbles to it, but probably not as much as it should. But it's a stout, yeah. so it's not going to have that much. No, but I mean, if, is it drinkable? Ooh. Now, it's supposed to be a pastry stout, so is it a little sweet? It's sweet. Is it? Okay. It is. I, I'm. It tastes like sugary motor oil, Eric. Dude, I think, I think go- it would, if it was fresh, I think I would like this. Okay. Uh, the 14% does scare me, but... Yeah. Yeah. You should go get some whiskey or something if you're going to drink something. I mean, you should have something to sip on while you're... Oh, I've got I've got my, my Coors Light. Don't you worry. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. This one, I will say, is good. It it, it has a, a bit of a hot profile. So for a Mexican lager, it, it, it tastes a little bit hoppy, which is not bad when you're adding flavor to a Mexican lager because typically these are pretty... I did throw a lime in here, too. Um, it It... It has a little bite to it from the hop, so it's it's good. It's really good. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 enjoying this one. So what are we going to rate these bad boys? Well, you you you're choose. Have a hard time you rating choose. those, right? No, well, I'll rate What'd it. You, say? you choose. Okay, um, let's do. Uh, oh, what is relevant these days? What's today's date? Fourteenth out of fourteen. Out of fourteen April days. Yeah, fourteen April's April days. What are you? Uh, what are you going to rate yours? Well, I mean, yours is going to be. It, honestly, you're not rating I, the product. I think I. I think I am really. It's just flat is the only thing. Um, okay. It is a thick, heavy stout, and I feel after like the two sips, I can already feel it like entering my bloodstream. Um. So obviously, as it is, I'll, I could give it a certain score. I'll bump it up to try to make it as accurate as I really do think it, because it does have a great flavor profile. I don't think that's changed at all. Okay. Um, but it is super thick and um, and a lot to take, as you say. So I would give this <laughs> at a 14. I'll give it an 8. That's pretty good. It's a little too sweet for me. Yeah. I'm going to give this Mexican lager probably a 10 and a half. Ten and a half out of fourteen. Ten and a half out of fourteen. It's it's not bad at all. Um, but you know, it's a Mexican lager. Not it's, notable. It's not a notable one, no. 
Sounds We're good. good. It's refreshing. Well, let's go ahead and uh, hear how people can get a hold of us and listen to a little ditty about our patrons. You can get show information on our podcast at pixelguiden.com. You can also listen to our show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos Podcast. You can reach us on Twitter using at pixel underscore guiden. You can reach Eric at the project. That's at D-U-H-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. And you can reach Cody at oddball, which is at O-D-D. BA1149. You can also reach me, that's Tim, at Sanxion, and that's at S A N X I O N. Please review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcatchers that you use. It really helps us out. You can email us on podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we'd love any feedback. And also, please let us know if we've done anything wrong, and we'll mention it on the next show. We also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. And this month we're heading out west. The crowded Mark Richardson and Nimble David Moe Black. Labor, Scott Hartlow and Roy Fielding's a little bit simplistic. Agonizing Henrik Lobel, Prickly Adam from Commodore Chronicles, Rabbit Josh Malone, Nutritious Matthew Ackerman. The narrow Daniel James and the cruel Eric Sandgren. The voices of Pixel Guide and Roll On. Like tumbleweeds through digital rain. And though their fingers blister, their thumbs will not bleed in vain. Unarmed Mr. Toast and the spooky ants to learn. The bouncy Brian Arsenault and the hypnotic David Cavallari. Cavallari. Voracious David Vincent, noxious Mitsuyama, pastoral paradroid, terrific Maches, Znowski, and of course the old fashioned Ted Sell Retro Gamer Nation RTN. Obtainable Jason Holland Bossy Paul Jacobson Who else 
incandescent ram okay rom okay hey guys how about we take a little break check with our friend over the pond that's right it's tea time with tim everyone and welcome to this month's episode of tea time with tim coming up on this episode of tea time with tim it's all about the pinball games from hal labs hal laboratory incorporated by which they were also known by the shortened version of halkin are one of the most famous japanese developers and well known for their strong ties with nintendo But did you know that some of their earlier work was actually with Commodore and MSX? Starting off in the very early 80s, HAL work on many titles that were published as first-party Commodore VIC-20 games. Amongst these were classics like Jupiter Lander and the brilliant Pac-Man clone Jelly Monsters. In my view, one of the best Pac-Man clones available on the VIC. HAL later went on to publish for the Commodore Max, the Japanese version of the Commodore 64, and these games would be available as first-party games for the Commodore 64 on its release. HAL are credited for early games such as Gorf, Clowns, Wizard of War, Pinball Spectacular, which is actually a pinball breakout hybrid type of game. Alongside the early work for Commodore, HAL also developed many games for the MSX, and some for the later MSX2, with games like Hole-in-One Golf Game Series and the shooter Gale Force, based on the anime film series of the same name. This shooter needs to be looked at on another episode, because it's very good. HAL was founded in February 1980, and all through this time, its close links with Nintendo eventually saw it being brought up by Nintendo in 1991, and then led by Satoru Iwata, who later became president of Nintendo in their heady days of 1993 to the year 2000. These days, we are more familiar with HAL through the Kirby franchise, but as we touched on this earlier, they have a good history with not only Nintendo, but Commodore and MSX. However, for this episode, we're going to focus on their pinball lineage of games, starting with the very early games for the Commodore. First up is Pinball for the VIC-20. It also has a release on the C64 and the Commodore Max in Japan. This game is actually entitled Pinball Spectacular. This game is actually a port of Bombi from Namco to the home systems. The other unique feature of this is that it's a cross between a breakout and a pinball game. And the only way of controlling it on the VIC and the 64 is to use paddle controllers. I do have a set of VIC paddles around somewhere, but just cannot seem to find them. You can use the Atari paddles on them, but the potentiometer is a lot more sensitive. So you end up with a bigger dead area and have to learn to move the paddle slower to get across the screen. It's a very colourful game even on the C64. Graphics and sound are basic, 
but functional and it has the breakout elements where you have the bat at the bottom of the screen the ball bounces around the playing field and you have to hit the ball to knock the blocks however there are not only blocks in the middle of the screen but there are also some at the sides you also have jets or bouncers as well as ball traps overall simple but there is some fun to be had in this game well worth a quick look next up is rollerball now this game first came out on the msx in 1984 so not too long after pinball spectacular however this game also made its way across onto the nes so from here the timeline gets a little skewed depending on your region and platform you owned in japan this game came out on the famicom in 1988 but in america it was launched in 1990 and not making its european debut until 1992 and that's after pinball revenge of the gator on the game boy so in europe you would have had a different release timeline we're going to stick to the earliest release dates so this slots in after pinball spectacular and between revenge of the gator now rollerball on the msx and the nes carry over some design aspects but then this can also be true of many of the hal pinball games but if you were to take the names out of both games and put them side by side i think you would be hard pressed to justify that they are the same game so I think we need to separate them in the timeline and cover them briefly as two separate games. So going in chronological order, first up is the MSX version from 1984. This is not a switch screen game like the others before and surprisingly the msx handles the scrolling for the screen very smoothly especially when you launch the ball into the play field the player is very much akin to like a normal early pinball table it has three play fields one on top of the other with a set of flippers at the bottom of each screen you have jets targets and spinners you also see the familiar jackpot slot machine in the middle of the second playfield introduced graphics are simple and functional as you would expect of this time it's colorful and has a mainly blue and green colored playfield there are the usual bonus multipliers as you start and you start out with three balls on this game you can choose one or two players and on the player select screen you can choose by moving left or right on your d-pad to flip between difficulty settings there's novice average expert and pro i started out on novice and i've not had a massive amount of time with this one but it's well worth digging out and giving it a try now on to the nes game of the same title This game not only has the main table called the skyscraper but also introduces a match play mode where you can play two players against each other and the idea is to reduce the other player's score to zero. Presentation on this version has gone up a notch with the title screen music, a full high score table and the familiar LED style pinball display. Starting the game will give you the option of two options of skyscraper, the main game and you can choose up to four players each taking a turn each with three balls plus the previously mentioned match play mode 
The playfield on Skyscraper has four separate parts of the table, and this also scrolls the screen between the tables, or the sections. The backdrop to the playfield has a skyscraper in the middle of the playfield, the Statue of Liberty in the background as well. Graphics are nice for the NES, and you can see that they have moved up another level in their pinball engine in terms of targets, ramps, and the sheer amount of flippers in this one, with, I think, 10 flippers alone in just the first few parts of the table. It has a very NES feel to the game. That's not a bad thing. I guess it has to do with the music in the background that has that NES sound to it. The slot machine has made another appearance in this game on the second part of the playfield. There is also a top bonus level where you have two separate areas on the left and the right with multiple targets to hit to unlock features like I think it's called raise the gate and open the gate. Down the bottom of the playfield, you have a spinner to hit that scrolls through a section where you can get bonuses and other features depending on how hard you hit the flipper and where the spinner stops. The NES version looks like it has a ton of playability in it and really starts to feel like some of the later HAL pinball games that we'll get onto. Next up is the one that started me on this whole journey, Pinball Revenge of the Gator on the Game Boy. This game was one that Cody chose for Battle of the Systems in one of our earlier episodes in 2022. If we're going by the timeline, it technically slots in between the release of the different versions of Rollerball. This was one of the release titles for the Game Boy in 1989. It was also released in 2013 in the 3DS shop. It was not really updated and also removed the match play mode. I won't go into too much detail on this one, as we covered this on episode 87 for Battle of the Systems against Pinball Wizard on the Game Gear. So if you want to know more about it and what we thought, have a listen back to episode 87. I will say that while this is one of the earliest releases on the Game Boy, it should not be overlooked. It has tons of character, great sound and graphics, and the play in the game is very addictive. Many of the How Pinball game features are in there, like the slot machine. And this also introduces more bonus levels that you can visit by hitting different targets and ramps. There are four main play fields and three bonus stages. The other thing that this introduces is the extra screen after the ball drains from the playfield. At the bottom of this screen is the gator sitting waiting for the ball to drop. And he opens his mouth and swallows the ball with a gulp. I love this game and it was my game of the year for 2022. So let's roll along to 1993, and we're back on the Game Boy. After the introduction of Howe's lovable character Kirby in 1992, with another Game Boy title called Kirby's Dreamland, we see Kirby return in this wonderful pinball game starring Kirby himself. This game none other than being Kirby's Pinball Land. 
This is one of the best love games on the platform, not only because it has the lovable Kirby character included. The look and the feel of the game is spot on. There is tons of detail and the features of the table follow the Kirby theme, including things like the big tree, which features in one of the bonus levels, for example. HAL moved up another level with this title, offering from the get-go three tables as it were. On starting the game, you get to choose by Kirby getting dropped onto the selection screen. You can use the flippers to choose or let Kirby drop into a cannon. The cannon then kind of moves from left to right. Then, when the cannon is aiming in the correct direction or aiming at the right table that you want to select, you can just press the button and the cannon will fire Kirby into the direction of that table. Um, then the warp star will come and pick you up and drop you into the playfield of your chosen table. So each table is owned by a boss from the Kirby game law. So the first table is Wispy, the second one is Cracko, and the third one is Poppy. Each table has different screens, much like Gator. This is a flip screen to move to the next playfield rather than scrolling. You do not have a plunger as such to get into the playfield. At the start, you are brought in by the warp star and dumped from the selection screen into the middle of the table. From there, the idea is to hit the central boss several times. This will open up particular things in each table. On the first table, Wispy, you have to hit Wispy several times to spin the wheels of the ever-present slot machine. This will uh, win you extras like a little coin with an M in the middle. This places a blocker between your flippers on that part of the table and prevents the ball draining to the next level below or out of the playfield, depending on where you are. There's also the warp star. Each table has one of these features. By hitting targets or characters on the playfield, each time you spell out the word warp star. And then you can hit the warp star and go back to the selection screen to progress to one of the other tables in the game. Each table has its own selection of minigames and hidden features. Another nice touch is when the ball drain screen appears at the bottom, so similar to the one in Gator. However, this time Kirby rolls down onto a pad. You can then press A and it will launch Kirby back up towards the hole in which he fell. Randomly, by pressing A, Kirby will jump high enough off the platform and he will return into the table. So it's kind of like an extra ball. If he does not, Kirby jumps off the platform, walks off the screen and you lose a life. You then press A and your new Kirby will jump into the table ready to play again. There's so much in this game, I would highly recommend giving this one a go. If you're a fan of the Kirby games, or if you can forgive the slightly cute style graphics, there's a ton of gameplay in this pinball game. So much so that I even went out and found a physical copy and bought it myself. Last up for the How Pinball Games is Pokemon Pinball. This game was released in Japan in 1999 for the Game Boy Color. This game took the same game engine from Kirby's Pinball and updated it to obviously a color, color style engine. This one's based all around the popular selling Nintendo franchise Pokemon. The ball has been replaced by a Pokeball in this game. You have two tables to select from, either red or blue. Each table has its own look and feel. And if I'm honest, the physics in this one do feel a little off. 
You do have scrolling in this one, so you get the feel is table is like one big table rather than split into different playfields as with the other Game Boy titles. The main tables uh, features are you have a catch mode and an evolution mode. Catch mode activates a two minutes timer in which you can you need to hit the bumpers six times to complete an image of a Pokemon that comes up in the middle of the playfield. When the image is complete, you hit the Pokemon, which has appeared with the Pokeball, and that kind of simulates you catching the Pokemon. And it pays out um, the jackpot in points for capturing the Pokemon. Evolution mode is another two-minute timer, which allows you to select a Pokemon that you've previously caught from your Pokedex. And if you hit the bumpers so many times, you can evolve that Pokemon to the next level. While this game has nice colourful look and sound for a Game Boy game, I don't feel personally that it lives up to Gator or Kirby in the gameplay stakes. One unique feature that this did offer above the rest was the inclusion of a rumble pack built into the game cartridge. It was well received at the time and sold over 200,000 copies in the UK alone. Mainly I would imagine that being down to the Pokemon fever that was gripping the country at the time. Now, just before I end this one, I was just about to wrap everything up. I just realised that there is another pinball game by HAL Labs on the NES called uh, Pinball. It was released in 1984, so it slots in between Pinball, Spectacular and Rollerball on the MSX. If you do get a chance to get Rollerball for the NES, maybe give Pinball a try as well. It looks very similar in to Rollerball in its design, but has the black and blue look of Pinball Spectacular if you've seen that one. So that's a wrap on this episode of Tea Time with Tim. Hope you enjoyed taking this trip through the spinner of the Howl Labs Pinball games. I think there are some gems of games here. Even if you're not into the pure aspect of pinball, there's something to love about Gator and the Kirby games in their own right. Rollerball on the NES looks like it needs a bit more investigation too. Don't forget, I love to get your feedback and thoughts on anything I've covered here. You can reach me on the usual show contact details that's in our show notes. And I'm no longer active on Twitter, so you can get me either on our Discord channel through the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord channel, or you can send me a toot on Mastodon. On there, I'm at sanction at oldbytes.space. So until next time, keep your balls bouncing and your scores rolling in. Hello, you've reached Cody Hoffman here with Cody's Corner, and I wanted to talk about something I just picked up. I've been wanting to pick up one of these for quite a while, and uh, of course wanted to do a review on it because it's something near and dear to my heart, and that is a pinball device I just picked up. Um, You might know that I got rid of a lot of my pinball machines before I moved um, about a year and a half ago. Got rid of all of them, and I don't have any pinball machines. The real pinball machines uh, can't be beat. Uh, There is no substitute, but the closest thing that I could find would be a virtual pinball machine. Uh, Specifically the one I picked up, which was an arcade one-up, three-quarter scale uh, virtual pinball machine. Uh, There's three different options you can get. There's a Marvel pinball machine and a Star Wars pinball machine and uh, in the case that I wanted to go original and uh, nostalgic grab myself the attack from Mars Williams pinball arcade machine Um, arcade one-up machine sorry I keep saying pinball arcade arcade one-up 
And uh, I wanted to talk about it here. So the all three of these tables have 10 games on them. The one I picked up uh, is, again, the Williams one. So it's all original Williams games. And they picked some bangers, if you will, some classic arcade games. Uh, includes No Good Gophers, includes Junkyard. Um, it's got the classics I'm speaking of, Tales of the Arabian Nights, uh, Medieval Madness. It's got Attack from Mars on there. Uh, the Getaway, which is High Speed 2. And a couple of other games. But uh, I specifically wanted to pick up this one, again, because of the, the way it looks. The, the artwork on the side, it's the most nostalgic to me. It's very pinball. Whereas the Marvel and Star Wars tables are Zen pinball tables. Um, Zen who recreates, you know, virtual pinballs of not real machines. So they are kind of fake tables. Um, honestly, they're a lot easier to play, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And they have animations and stuff for, like, characters that fly over the field and things that aren't, ha you know, possible in real life. Um, but that's going to be part of my review because there is a way to hack this machine. Now, I did not do it myself. It was already done. I bought this table used for a great deal, in my opinion, which is a large part of why I got it. Um, but I wanted to talk about the pinball table itself it retails for $799.99 at this point so 800 bucks when it first came out it was like 600 and then inflation happened um but if you're thinking about getting one of these tables i'm gonna say for the mo for most people in the right situations it's probably a yes from me uh, i don't know about at 800 dollars but certainly used for the price i picked it up it was great uh so let's start with it first of all it's very well built. It feels like a pinball machine. Of course, it's smaller. It's three quarters. You still can't move it by yourself uh, just because you, you could probably handle the weight of it. But because it's still fairly large device, you need kind of two people. Um, I was able to put, it, to put it up on legs by myself by um, putting the front legs on, lifting up the back, putting a chair under it, and then putting the back legs on. Um, but this thing has a great looking back lit marquee. Uh, it's got a DMD screen, and it's obviously it's a it's a little video screen, but it replicates the DMD screens perfectly um, for the games on the Williams table specifically, but also for the Star Wars and Marvel table. The screen itself is a little smaller than the width of the table, so um, it's got a plastic bezel in there that kind of helps cover in the the empty area, so it doesn't feel as empty. Um, Honestly, it's yes, it could be a little bit bigger, but it's not bad the way it is. I don't feel like I need to upgrade it. Uh, it is not in high resolution. I want to say it's 720p. Um, so, uh, but I think some some recent updates, firmware updates, have become available where you can change some things like the uh, resolution, things like that. Um, but back to the build quality, it's got chrome bezel around the edge, so it looks legit. It's got a real plunger that actually adjusts to how far you pull it back and when you let go just which works with the uh, uh with the with the zen pinball built inside of it uh it's got your flipper buttons on the side which work excellently and uh well i'll get back to that in a second there's a big red launch button a lot of the games that they're emulating do have a launch button instead of a plunger for an automatic launch but it's got both and that is also uh, in large part to help navigate some of the menus and then it's got an on and off switch. It's got a volume switch and a couple selection buttons in the front. Um, so purely as it is, this table is, is very well built. I love it for that. I know there's aftermarket kits where you can add like uh, more buttons and a joystick and make, turn it into a full arcade machine and do all these things. But I'm just saying as, the, as it's designed, uh, I love the way it's built. Back to those flippers. When you hit the flippers, 
there are little solenoids inside on the left and right, and they click when you press the flippers. So it feels, honestly, they're, they're not as, as uh, heavy of feedback as you would get from a real flipper uh, with a real full-powered solenoid on a real pinball mach machine. But I would say it's like a three-quarter flip, right? It feels right. When you hit the button, it clicks, and it feels great. Now, one thing to note, when you get this machine, I got my, my machine, and when it first came out, the first revision of the firmware, which I think I have, um, if you leave it as is and just start playing pinball, there's going to be a delay between the flippers and then the screen actually flipping, and the, but the screen and the speakers are connected. So you'll feel the flippers flip, and then you'll see and hear the flippers flip slightly after. Technically, you can get used to this. I don't advise it. Uh, there's a simple fix. When you go into the menu, turn off. There's um, an option for Zen Pinball that for some reason is auto on, and it's this like trail behind the ball. I guess it's supposed to help you visualize where the ball is and how it's moving, but just turn it off. Once you turn it off, I guess the processing power on the board allows it to catch up. And now with the flipper feel and the sounds coming out of the speakers at the exact same time, the ball flipping at the right time, it feels great. Uh, it feels very close to real pinball. I'm not going to lie. Um, it does take a little used to. Any virtual pinball will not obviously have a 3D effect to it where you're, well, you know, obviously when you when you change the angle of your eyes, you, you, know, you can't see further under the pop bumpers or into different tunnels and things. Um, so it is kind of a mind game getting used to that, but it works pretty darn well. Um, another thing that's in there, of course, are some solenoids to fake the pop bumpers. On a good table, you got a couple pop bumpers, so it vibrates and clinks with uh, along with the pop bumpers and maybe any toys that are on the playfield, and it feels pretty pretty darn good. Um, the speakers are doing the rest of the work, obviously for the game sound and uh, in-game music and callouts and things. Uh, I think the one modification I am going to make to my machine is I am going to upgrade. I'm not going to say upgrade the speakers because the speakers that are in there. They're, they're loud enough. They're not terribly loud, but they're, if you turn it full blast, they're loud enough. And, um, but they're, they're tinny. They don't have any mids or bass. Uh, so I think what I am going to do is hop in there, uh, throw a little you know $15 Amazon amp in there, and probably throw in, uh, if not one, maybe two, um, like six inch, maybe six by nine, like car audio speak, whatever I have laying around. And I'll probably put them in the bottom of the cabinet facing down. Because that way I'll still get the stereo. You can you, you get a stereo effect from the speakers in the front, and then you'll get some more mids and bass coming out the bottom, and I think it's going to fill out nicely. I'll probably do that modification and let you guys know how it sounds when I'm done. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, it's, a, it's a cool package, and when you have it up and rocking, it feels great. Now, the one thing I have not addressed yet, I will address now, and that is, uh, you know, nudging and bumping the table. And this is a big one for me with any kind of virtual pinball because you want to nudge, be able to nudge the table forward or left to right or backwards. And with a you know a PlayStation controller, right, doing Zen pinball, you can do that with a thumbstick, but it's hard. To, like it doesn't feel right, right? You want to just push the table forward. And you don't always remember that with the thumbstick. You usually end up just smashing the thumbstick somewhere and hoping it does the right thing you're trying to do to nudge the ball where you want it. This table does have what they call a G sensor in it. Um, I guess it's supposed to sense G's pushed upon the table. And what I will say is it works okay when it works. I do have an early table. I've done some research on this. 
Uh, apparently, the early tables have a lot of issues with this sensor, and it can be fixed. Um, I did not buy mine new, but people apparently have had great results in telling Arcade One Up about their issue with their early machine. They, you know, put the, take a picture of the serial number on the back or whatever, and they send them a new sensor. The sensor is easy. It's got a little connector. You pull that off, and then four screws to to connect this board to the bottom of your cabinet. So you just take those screws out, put the new one in, screws down, plug it back in, you're done. Um, so I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to find one of these sensors. Uh, you know, if they if they send me one, um, you know, fully admitting that I bought a used machine and that I don't have a warranty or anything, uh, that would be amazing. Uh, but I'm willing to, to pay a few bucks to get a replacement sensor if that is what it is. The new firmware also has some some abilities like uh, being able to hold down a certain button combination when you power it up to go into diagnostic mode. And there will be a little G-sensor diagram showing you where, what it's sensing and where it's sensing. So ultimately, the issue I had with the sensor, I guess I didn't mention that yet, is not that it wasn't working well when it was working or that it was not working, meaning that it wouldn't nudge at all. The issue is I got to the point after playing it for quite a few hours already um, where I would, could sit there and get ready to launch the ball and not even touching the table, just watching the ball sit there in the shooter lane. And the table would, would react and go, like you're nudging it. And then eventually you would just drain out and say, you tilted. It's like, I didn't even touch the machine. How could I have tilted? Uh, so it was like what they call ghost tilt or ghost nudging, right? Um, so when I bought this machine, the, the person who sold it to me did mention that it was very sensitive. You can turn the sensitivity of the G-sensor up and down. Uh, but this is beyond that. This this is just ghost sensing. So that would explain why he was having those issues. That explains why I'm having these issues. So I'm going to try to get that fixed. Outside of that, I love this machine the way it is. Ten games uh, for the for the Williams table are enough, honestly. I don't even know how often I'll play the other ones because, it, you know, when you really get into this, I've been playing Attack from Mars primarily, and I've put, like I said, two, three hours into it, and I'm trying to get up the high score list and uh, and unlock some of the, um, you know, the different, the different scores and levels and stuff you can complete. Um, I can put hours into that game. I'll probably put hours into almost all of these games. Um, maybe at that point I'll be interested in trying some of the, uh, the arcade tables. But I guess there's also a way. I haven't looked into it. I, I want to love this machine for what it is right now. But there's a way to actually load Zen Pinball as well. And at that point you can actually use your PC you know, through Steam or whatever to download Zen Pinball tables. You, get a, you can buy them and then take the files and then load them onto your pinball machine, your arcade 1UP. And play those tables, you know, including Marvel or Star Wars or any other Arch William, more, more Williams games, more real tables as well. So I might look into that. We'll see. But as it is, I think this is actually a really nice solution. Um, I do have an arcade one-up standard arcade, which I immediately modded. I have the Street Fighter 2 one. I immediately modded it and gutted it, put a Raspberry Pi in it, and, uh, and replaced some of the buttons and, and did some things to it to make it better. Um, I don't feel like I really need to do that with this, this three quarters pinball machine. It's really cool. It's going to hold me over until I can get another real machine eventually here. Um, but I, I mean, I love it. I'm going to spend a lot of time with it. I highly recommend it. If you are a, I would say mid casual to mid, uh, lover of, of these games, you know, I do really love pinball and I want the real thing, but this is a nice, uh, you know, and one. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I'm kind of looking the machine over here and thinking about it. Um, the body is only half as deep as it really looks. There's a fault, kind of a false bottom, um, but there's still plenty of room in there if you wanted to make some modifications, put bigger speakers, things like that. Like I said, um, there are ports in the back, so it's really easy to access. The screen actually is just plugged in with an HDMI, so if you wanted to put a new screen in there, it doesn't appear to be very difficult. You just get the screen you want, put it in there, plug it in with an HDMI, um, you know, make a few modifications to hold the screen in place, I'm sure, but uh, the, the plastic on top is plastic. It is not glass, although uh, I've taken this apart to get to some of the internals just to check it out, and it would not be hard to put, uh, you know, replacement plastic in there. What's the word I'm looking for? Not plastic, but the thin thin plastic. Um, I can't think of what it's called right now. But you can put a real sheet of glass in there if you want. Make sure it's tempered glass if you were to do that because you don't want it to, to break and cut people or things. Um Anyways, that's my review of the Attack from Mars Arcade 1-Up Pinball. I really look forward to enjoying this machine for, uh, you know, definitely months to come, maybe years to come. Um, if I can get that sensor thing figured out right now, it's just kind of a thorn in my side. So here, I'll give it a score. The version I got, which I believe is the original firmware and the original model, I will give it an 8 out of 10. If it ends up working the way I think it's going to with the sensor fixed, I would give it a 9 out of 10. Um, steel pinballs. There you go. Thank you much, and I'll catch you next time. Reporting the news! All right, Eric, everything today is newsworthy. Everything. Everything. Uh, let me start us off. Actually, you start us off this time, I see. Yep. I'm starting this off. So this is an article I found. In fact, I even heard this on another podcast too. It's a, it's a bigger deal than it would seem, but um, it is project egg. Have you heard of that? I have not. So project egg uh, could bring MSX PC 98 Neo Geo titles to the switch. So it's going to be like a, almost like another. So the project egg is engrossing game gallery. And I guess it is already a, um, an online digital storefront for buying retro games. Okay. And it's run by a company called D4. What is it? D4 Entertainment, I think. Um, and they were responsible, or D4 Enterprise, and they were responsible for bringing a lot of the retro games to the virtual console, like on the Wii. Gotcha. And yeah, you know, it, sounds that, like, it sounds like M2, but this is D4. That's right. And it was very popular. I mean, I even downloaded some stuff from the virtual console when I had my Wii up. Um, <laughs> Wii up. <laughs> wow. Um, but supposedly this is kind of a big deal. So there'll be like this new kind of digital storefront on uh, the way I understand this anyway. They'll be they'll they'll offer like a lot of MSX Neo Geo titles, stuff like that. Although I, I did find it weird because you can already if I remember right, you can already get Neo Geo titles on the Switch somewhere. I can't remember where, but Neo Geo Pocket. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like a, a front end for like, uh, I guess, emulating things on it, maybe something emulating like that. The, yeah, to the Switch. Yep. Interesting. So anyway, Project Egg. Project Egg. Look for it on Switch. It's supposed to be a big deal. I've been hearing about it all over the place. So it's I haven't, it's uh, haven't played any MSX games or PC ninety eight games on my Switch before. So. 
I like to explore PC-98. That's one library and console that I've never even touched. I've never loaded a game on PC-98. Gotcha. Uh, I'll be up front. Most of my news came from one source this, this month uh, because I am a slacker and I didn't, uh, I didn't collect as I went this month. So I apologize. But thank you to Time Extension. <laughs> who yeah. has now become my favorite place to get news. But anyways, I haven't talked about uh, Bitmap Books in a while, but they come out with all kinds of great historic uh, video game books, and they're re- replacing a... Uh, rep- replacing. They're republishing a new one called The History of the Run-and-Gun Genre. So I'm a big fan of Run and Guns. These Me guys too. make a great book. So go buy the book. <laughs> it's going to yep, cover... I own, I own probably three or four Bitmap books, and they're always super high quality. I've I've never I, had any complaint with the the build quality, the paper they use, the content, the the art inside, the pictures. I mean, they they do an, an amazing job in these books. So I think any of them is going to be worth it. But Run and Gun is one of my favorites as well. So this should be pretty cool. Yeah, the four games they list right here, I just realized, are like four of my favorite games of all time. Contra, Gunstar yeah. Heroes, Metal Slug, and, of course, Cuphead. Ooh, Cuphead. I get That's Cuphead neat. in there. Great, great game. All right, so let me let me let me talk to you about this, Cody. You ready? I'm um, talk at me. That's all I got to say about this what? one. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Are you sequencing, nope, so Eric? A new 16-step sequencer for the Game Boy Advance called Stepper is coming out. Um, I honestly don't know if it's going to be a. F- I, I assume it's going to be a physical cartridge, but it might just be a download ROM that you could put on an EverDrive or something, or probably both. I don't know. Um, but it is a. I love. I don't know about you and music. I know Cody. You love to play live instruments and record them and do. And you're a little into MIDI. I mean, you do MIDI triggering and stuff like that. But I love sequencers. I always have. Like even back in the day. One of my favorite ways to make music was using sequencers. I just think they're a blast. Yeah, they are. Fun. Um, and so this is a 16-step sequencer called Stepper that is uh, coming out, and I'm eager to try it. I keep saying that, though. I like have a tracker that's on my Game Boy, uh, the LSDJ cartridge. Yeah, and I, I want to see that thing like get a, up and running. Yeah, I, and I say I want to do it, but again, you and me complain about this a lot. Just don't have time. Just don't have time. I would love to compose chip tunes and make music, and I would love to do it in a kind of confined and restricted way. You know what I mean? Like just using this one tool and trying to make something really cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's I would love to dive into something like this. So anyway, check it yeah, out. We'll have uh, linked in the show notes. It is called Stepper, a new sixteen step sequencer for the GBA. I used to use Fruity Loops. That was my. Oh, I love Fruity Loops. Yep. Yep. I introduced I made, I made my son some techno to that. On he, it. Yeah, my son loaded it up on his laptop and he loved it. He played. He used that thing for about a year, just straight, just making tunes left and right, and I loved it. I'm gonna head down to my beat laboratory, Dad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it does say that it is a uh, it's an open source project. You can download for free, but you can also buy the GBA ROM via itch.io to support its development at this time. Awesome. So there you go. That would be really cool. Get, get your music nice. on and your GBA. Yep. Um, this is a fun one. The New York Museum of, what's it called? Uh, the Strong Museum of Play has I've announced it. that it will be creating the world's largest playable Donkey Kong arcade cabinet 
as part of its expansion plans next year. I've heard so, of this, yeah. So you can see uh, this little 3D model of Donkey Kong guys here, but if we scroll down, you can see a mock-up of the size of this thing, and it is a 20-foot tall um, arcade machine. It actually kind of lo- almost looks like a barcade, like if you mm-hmm. cut the top two-thirds off a Donkey Kong machine, but didn't it's not standing all the way up. And then took that yeah. part and made it gigantic. So it's a huge screen. It looks like it's also got a joystick and big buttons and stuff on it. Although you don't actually use those. They have a little pedestal down in front at human level, uh, which is a, a little kind of remote joystick to, to play the game. But it looks yep. like a classic Donkey Kong machine. Cool. And I, I heard I heard about this on another podcast. And that one thing they mentioned was that it is a real Donkey Kong motherboard, like a real arcade board. So it, <laughs> Okay. It's the real board. It's just they they wired it to you know use these other type of controls in a much much larger screen. It it beats with the heart of the the OG Donkey Kong. <laughs> Eric, wh- what is the end of an era? The end of an era. So I read, and I don't know. I have to admit, I don't know much about this. I didn't read a ton about it, but I did hear about it on a couple podcasts, and then I downloaded this article and, and read through this article. E three which used to be a very big deal. Oh, huge. Huge, right? Is they're not having it this year, and they didn't have it through COVID, and I guess they were going to have it this year, and they couldn't get enough participation from vendors. So literally like people like Nintendo or Xbox or whatever, they just didn't sign up. They were like, well, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to do our own little... Yeah, thing and show off things, but we we don't need to worry. We're not going to do E3. I've heard hints about this for a while, and yeah, ever since COVID, basically everyone had to kind of do their promotions and stuff and in their own mm-hmm. form, like Nintendo does their Nintendo Directs, you know, regularly. And then that went so well, other companies are doing their own Directs. And at this point, right. they're like, "What's the point of meeting in person and paying a bunch of money to go set up physical stuff?" And we already have our online, you know, our our way to release news about our company, so. And you can control the content better because if you go to E3, you're competing against, you're trying to get eyes to your booth, right? And if you don't have something super interesting that 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 year that E3 is going on and all the people are going to Nintendo and your Xbox, you look bad because there's more people, you know, it's almost like this popularity contest. Yeah. Whereas when you have a direct, it's harder to... Um, it's hard, harder to manufacture those numbers, right? You don't have to share the number of viewers online. And, you have, to, and you have to pay a whole bunch to try to get them. Correct, correct. So I, I understand it, but is it an end of an era? Because E3 used to be such a big deal. Like, I remember um, literally there'd be these online news feeds, of real-time news feeds of, oh, like, yeah. well, Xbox just announced this, and Nintendo announced this, and Sony announced this. And now it's just not going to happen. Well, I think it I, it broke that mold. I mean, that was kind of like the yeah. the cadence of how things got released. But now people have had to make their own avenues to do it elsewhere. So why go back into the old mold of, you know, yeah. a more the restrictive thing mold? Is it was, you know, I even thought, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I was like, oh, it'd be fun to go to E3 because it would happen in L.A., right? Like we yeah. could go down to E3 and not, like go see all this stuff. And it was... I don't know, something that I remember people waiting for tickets for E3. Like, well, we're, you know, we, we're, we're going to wait in line online to, like, sit here refreshing the button to get my tickets at E3. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, it, it surprises me that something so popular just 
seven years ago is now, you know. Oh, COVID. Co- Dean COVID. I'm going to read this one for Mr. Tim, who's not here today. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned briefly in episode 103, catching up, the MSX 2023 game dev compo is now on. Entries have started to come in. Uh, this started in February and entries to close in October and judging then until November. So you can check out msxdev.org website for more details and entries as they come through. So I'm going to do, do that real quick live to tape here and um, see if they have any entries for us to speak of. Right now this is showing us all the rules. Um, usually usually they have the entries like on the side here. Let's see. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, I don't MSDev see any 2023. That's weird. Here we go. We got is it four too early? So far. I mean, when, when is it? We got four entries so far. Okay, so four so far, but there's going to be more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Usually they end up getting 20 to 30. Um, and, of course, if you do program for the MSX, they give away prizes and stuff for the winning entries. But looks like they have a cool little platformer here called Pentacorn Quest. Um, Tower of Damnation. game called Uchuyohi. I'm sure I said that wrong, but um, definitely some <laughs> Japanese uh, text there. And yeah. Pearl Rain, which... Um, I don't know. I, we, we'll have to look into it next time. I'm not privy to the information. Oh, a fifth it one just really came in. It doesn't really say what kind of game it is, does it? Super Ori 2 Enigma. I love when it's like a, a d- development thing uh, for a you know fun little contest, and you come out with Super Ori 2. And yeah. it even has a, a subtitle, Enigma. So, <laughs> that's awesome. There we go. There you go, Tim. And then, Eric, back to you if you want to dredge up a new news item. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You ready? I'm ready. Cody, I'm going to yep. ask you something. Ask, ask away. What would you say if I said I was going to give you a game that was based on an eldritch horror slash HP Lovecraft theme? Oh. oh. Listen, listen. Has the whole game's wrapped around a fishing mechanic? Yes. It has an inventory management system mini game, kind of like Resident Evil. Yes. <laughs> and it's a mini RPG where you go from town to town selling your fish and upgrading your ship and doing this or that. What would you say to that, Cody? Eric. Yes. You blew my mind. I just blew your mind up. <laughs> I'm looking at some video, some video of Dredge and... Uh, Man, that's cool. That is cool. So I bought it. But yeah. Kapow! But I've only played about an hour of it, but I am loving it. I am loving it. Um, the fishing mechanic is cool. I mean, did you see that big like monster come out of the sea? Oh, yeah. Um, the graphics are beautiful um, in a very stylistic way, though. I mean, they're not photorealistic, but they're more... Um, I don't even Mo- know how to explain moving it. Moving stills it, kind of a thing. Yeah, uh, man, but the ocean part is beautiful. And when there's like um, hallucinations and like these uh, things happening when it gets dark. I mean, it. so far, I, I I am really, really digging it. I just didn't have time to really. Basically, what I did was the reason I put this in um, in the news is because I the news is I bought it and it's a cool game. Hopefully next month in catching up, I will tell you how I'm getting along with it and hopefully beat it. I read online that it's only like maybe a 15 hour game max. That's perfect though. That is perfect. Cause it's not super expensive either. And it's by team 17 is the publisher on this oh, uh, wow. the developers, black salt games. 
Um, loving it. And dude, fishing mechanic, inventory mini game. Yeah, you said I all mean, the right all the right words. If you could have just thrown in like a, a deck building card game mechanic, then I yeah, would that's be, not like, in there. <laughs> my computer my computer would explode. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, uh, that game's called Dredge. D-R-E-D-G-E. It's available for, I believe it's available for Steam and Switch. And I think oh, even... it's on Switch? Oh. Yes, it's on Switch. And I think it's even on other platforms like PS4 and Xbox 2 or something like that. Um, but by the way, I, I do like the reviews on Steam. And they, they usually are pretty good uh, bellwether for whether a game is really great or not. This one, overwhelmingly positive with over... 6,200 reviews. Yeah, so, I see that. Wow. Yep. That's awesome. Dredge, Good find. I, I, the, the whole reason I put this in here was really for you, Cody. It ticks all the boxes for you. So That it does. Yeah. Uh, this is a cool new project that is a D-Make, and I do love me some D-Makes. I'm not big into ports, okay. but D-Makes are my thing. Yeah. Um, somebody has made a a short game. It's a short game. I think it is on, let's see, buh, 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 itch.io, ditch.io. You can download it for free because it is a licensed uh, property. But they basically remade Dead Space, the, the great uh, PlayStation 3 shooter. Um, yeah. I think it was on other systems too. But they demade it into a PlayStation 1 style game. Oh wow! And uh, you know it's it's free. It's a quick uh, ten to fifteen minute play play time, so you can enjoy it and uh, and get a feel for it. But it totally looks kind of like um, you know low res Resident Evil kind of style graphics. Um, but it's a first person over the shoulder, you know, take apart your enemies shooter, which is Dead Space. So let me. Let me. Can you clear up one thing? What is this actually for? Just regular PC, or is it for PlayStation One? It's for PC. It's just in the PlayStation One style. Gotcha. gotcha. Dead Space okay. D Make. Nice. Fun. I like it. And and Dead Space isn't a game I really got into in the first place because I never had a PS3 until just maybe five years ago, it's, four years ago. I don't know why it's not still a big thing. It's a really cool game. I'll be honest with you. It was a little too creepy when I was trying to play it at the time, and I couldn't oh, wow. get myself to play it, but I can play this PC, PS1 version. I do want to go back and try the original one, but you know, yeah. it's not, you're on a spaceship, and it's dark, and powers out, and you hear things running around, and they pop out and scream at you, and you're, the whole mechanic is you have a gun that kind of shoots uh, in lines, and you have to take off limbs, like you can't just start shooting a guy. You can, but it's easier if you like take off their arms so they can't attack you, and then they'll start trying to kick at you. So you take off their leg, and then eventually you behead them. <laughs> oh wow! It's it's really cool. That so. escalated quickly. Yeah, it did. Dredge. Dredge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk about Tim's entry here. Yes. Platformer Celeste has been officially ported to Playdate. Playdate news continues. Eric, we're going to have to get one of these. So I was money ahead one month. I think it was two months ago. I was a little bit of money ahead, but then I went online and they had, that was when they had just jacked the price up for the Playdate. Like they've raised the price. They actually announced they were going to raise it. They hadn't raised it yet. Okay. But man, I was, I was teetering on getting it or not. And I ended up not getting it. I don't even remember what else I bought, but I didn't get it. But I was this close to getting it. Um, but anyway, let me read on. The port is based on the Pico 8 version of the game Celeste, which I've played. 
Um, a Playdate developer named, oh, that's going to be rough, H2Malu, H2Malu? H2Malu! Has ported over Maddie Makes Games, critically acclaimed platform of Celeste, to Panic's crank-based handheld. This official version of the game is based on Celeste Classic for the Pico 8 and is a faithful recreation. There we go. So let's watch a little video of this on the beautiful little white and black. Yeah. Rather than black and white, it's kind of more white and black. Um, oh, the graphics yeah. look really good, though. It's crisp. Looks like uh, the Pico 8 button black and white. Yeah, and the Pico 8 game of this is is really good. I've I've played it many times. This just looks like a very crisp black and white version, but it looks smooth as silk. It is just using the, it's not using the hand crank, obviously. No, I mean, it's, it's Celeste, it's a platformer, so he's using the D pad and the buttons, but yeah, play date, man. Ah, oh, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I wish they didn't raise the price. Yeah. Uh, uh, the next one I have here is pretty cool. There is, uh, long story short, 32 years ago, a company. Uh, you know, saw the success of a game called R-Type in the arcades, and they said, you know what, let's make R-Type, but not R-Type. And they basically blatantly ripped off R-Type. You can see the artwork and the mechanics and everything look very Uh, R-Type-y. Even the ship looks very much like the the R-Type ship, which is called the R-Type. The weapons and everything. Um, But apparently the game... uh, was originally supposed to be released in 1991. 1991. The game is called Rezon. And mm-hmm. uh, their company went bust and it didn't make much of an impact. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways, uh, it has now been released to home consoles. So if you want to oh. try a blatant ripoff of R Type that is apparently just not quite that good, <laughs> not, quite, <laughs> not quite in the same league as what Time Extension says, uh, you yeah. can play it on your PlayStation 4 and your Switch. But again, this is one of those kind of fun little footnotes in the history of, um, here you go, you see it's an arcade game. I mean, it looks solid. My guess, it, 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 it's such a blatant ripoff. <laughs> oh, man, even that, there was just like a little enemy that popped up that was kind of like a yep. semicircle, and it was like, that is from our type. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hilarious how much of a ripoff this is. My guess is <laughs> they just copied it like so much that they didn't uh, take any time to like level design. It probably has unfair parts or something, but I mean, it looks solid. Honestly, yeah, I the mean, video looks the solid. funny thing is, personally, as a gamer, if someone copies a game, I don't really mind as long as there's something kind of new to it, like new levels. Yeah, it's all like in- if all the mechanics are the same, but there's new levels, then it's almost like a little mini sequel or something. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. So that wouldn't bother me. But if if the levels are I, I mean, we'd have to do a little more dig and see if this is. This is, you know, if they if they copied the levels, then there's no point. I mean, it looks no, exactly it the looks, same as our type. This this whole boss section looks completely different. I've never seen this. So, yeah. Anyways, fun. Rezon. Right Tim's on. got one here. Eric, you get to be Tim again. Yep. yep. <clears throat> there's a new C64 game, Space Station 23. Space Station 23 has been hit by an asteroid and it's partly destroyed. The space station is also invaded by a nasty species of aliens. Pick it up on Vector5 Games' itch.io site and throw them a few bucks for a cool-looking game. The features are 10 levels, 3 exterior-themed and 7 interior-themed, 240 different rooms to explore, save and load game. Oh, I would love to see that. Yeah, look at this. Hey, well, looky here. Yeah, I was it looking at this. It almost looks like a... 
What? Go ahead. I was going to say, I was looking at this on a, on another website, and it's kind of got a, uh alien breed kind of feel to it, I want to say. Yeah. It's almost like a, you can't call these top-down, and they're not isometric. They're Maybe kind of top like top-down, but it's just kind of got that, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of got a little bit of a 3D down. effect to it. But it looks great, and there's little monsters, and the graphics look crisp. Um, the map looks really cool. Yeah, right. there we go. Looks, looks like could be a winner. And it's a uh, itch.io game. Download now. You can name your own price. So, as I typically do, I will purchase the game for zero dollars, play it a little bit, and decide if I want to give them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, or ten dollars. But you yep. make up how you want to uh, how you want to figure it out. Yep, that's pretty much what I do too. Um. This is more of a, this is almost the Cody's news of the weird at this point. So our friends at Atari (laughs) have decided to release the new Atari VCS Collector's Edition. It's now available to purchase, Eric. So after the Atari VCS came out and flopped, um, the Collector's Edition, which was, uh, is a numbered version of the same system, which was originally sold in a Kickstarter, I believe, for more money. Um, Yeah. I guess the, the bonus now is you can buy it for $299 with no weight. They've got them on the shelf and ready for you. So that's all I have to say <laughs> so, about that. So so what did, did they just take like their massive, like I could see like a guy opening in like a giant warehouse full of like ones that didn't sell. Yeah. And then they yeah. just take it and like slap a sticker on there saying this is a collector's edition. Uh, and yeah, now it's, it's, it's serial numbered now. This is number 743. Yeah, yeah, so the serial number how is on the sticker that they just slap on, and then probably, now, probably, I, dude. Oh my god, Eric, it's limited edition. These were getting blown out at GameStop. I remember for pretty cheap, and I, I almost, I was like, man, for that price, I should go down and get one. Oh, if you see that, let me know. I've never seen them go for less than like two hundred. So, oh man, I thought they were blowing them out for like ninety nine bucks. Uh, I'd, I'd probably go I, buy I, one for that. I might be wrong though. So just for the cool controller and having the cool looking VCS looking yeah. thing on my shelf, I'd pay a hundred bucks for it. But yeah, yep, crazy man. They are just they they just like to fleece. And then along came Atari. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, here's another uh, one, Tim. From Tim. Yeah. How Labs created a mini. Really? Yep. That's what it says here. Not new, but not sure if we have covered this before on the show. I don't remember ever talking about that. No. The Passocom Mini PC 8100, a little-known computer, was made as a mini by Hal Labs in 2019 before a lot of the other minis were launched. What? And then he has some links here. I, dude, I've never heard of this at all. The oh, Passocom Mini PC. It looks like, yeah, like, like, like the Commodore Mini. It says it's a quarter-scale replica of the NEC... PC uh, 8001 developed by HAL Laboratory. Okay, so this is um, well, I'm looking here. So it's it's a, a HAL computer. I didn't realize HAL made a computer. This is news to me. Um, HDMI, I, I think mini it's a HDMI port. The NEC, yeah, it's a replica of the NEC PC 8001. Mm-hmm. Um, which, but which was is that not developed by uh, the NEC, right? I think Hal is make is developing the mini, but they didn't have anything to do with the original. Interesting. I want to see if we can click on these games and see if it shows anything. 
And I would imagine that Hal got involved because they probably wrote the lion's share of games for the original uh, I have no NEC idea. PC. Games like Asteroid Belt, Check P. There is a Dig Dug on there. Yeah. Ashire, Skyline, Jupiter, Lander, yeah. Lunar City, SOS, Marine Belt, Mole Attack, Orion 80, PC Jan, exclamation point. Rocket Bomb, Snake, or I don't know. Interesting. I wonder how much I wonder how much one of these would go for now because we have to get if it, it before went 2019. Everyone... <laughs> they're not making it anymore. But I I would I would dig having something like this. This we is a to, rarity. We have to get one before we release the show, Eric. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I'm, I'm going to see if it's on eBay by by any chance, right? If it is, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I might go bid on it because this thing looks pretty neat. I mean, listen, there's probably nothing magic about this thing that couldn't be in an emulator. They're here. They exist. They're, oh. all, they're all in Japan. Yeah. They're at 250 spicy bucks meatball. right now. Yeah, that's too spicy for me. Or you can get a real one for $129. Exactly. I'd probably <laughs> prefer to get a real one over the mini price there. That mini price, man, I did. I think Tim is right, because I think his instincts were that we never talked about this, and I don't remember no. ever talking about this. Here's here's one that went for 206 Here's the full computer with monitor for 260 yeah. Interesting. I'd rather do that, to be honest. Well, there you go. Cool. Yeah. Did not That's know. That's interesting. Thanks, Tim. That is very interesting. How about this one? Uh, Eric? <clears throat> so, they're on the Dreamcast, there is a new roguelike, uh, and eventually it will come out on PC, because right now this is a Kickstarter, and it's called Harlequest. H-A-R-L-E, Quest. Like Harlequin Quest. Yep, and it is. Uh, it has met its goal, so it will be created. Well, you know, hopefully, it will be created. Uh, but it's going to be for the for the Dreamcast. And I looked at some of the um, graphics on this thing, and it looks like a cool little kind of top down dungeon crawler slash roguelike. Yeah, the creepy purple jester, and you run around with a sword and a shield and collect coins and boxes and. I guess it's got procedural dungeons. I looked at this and it didn't strike me as high quality. Um, I think it looks neat and I like the theme and everything, but um, I don't know. How do you feel about this one? I love the fact well, that it's a new Dreamcast the, game. The videos I've seen in the past were probably, um, I thought were early, like like early pictures of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping that they would kind of smooth things out. And I mean, again, it needs to be on the Dreamcast. So um, they're never going to be outstanding you know but it did seem a little choppy to me like looking at the graphics and a little um i don't know what to say i mean some of the things are really cool on it and i think that was a decision based on its art style that they're going for uh but i I get what you're saying i get what you i totally get what you're saying um if this came out at a reasonable price for a rom that i could just throw on uh you know, the the ODE that we have in our Dreamcast, then I would certainly do it. But, you know, I, I probably wouldn't spend near full price for, for this. Yeah, I, I think it's cool that it's a brand new original game and it's got some creative artistic element and design choices. I yeah. just don't know if the gameplay is there. But, uh, cool. Let me say this. <laughs> if it came out reasonably priced for the Dreamcast, I would get it right away. Yeah, agreed. If... But I wouldn't buy this on PC because he's coming out with this on PC eventually. There's no point in getting this on PC to me. I, I like the way you put that. Yes. Yeah. There's no it's point because I mean, there a new are much... game for my Dreamcast. Yeah. Yes. 
Exactly. So that, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Make up your own mind, listeners. Go on to our show notes and uh, click on that link and take a look for yourself. Yep. Let us know what you think. Ooh, let me tell you something I found that was really cool, though, Cody. Okay. So the Pico 8 nowadays with the success of Vampire Survivor isn't lacking in that style of game. You know, the <laughs> everyone the hopped on board. Yep. There was one that came out that was about a sheep that was going around. And there was one about a bunny, <laughs> like a bunny rabbit. And so people are trying to come out with innovative, unique ways to do the Vampire Survivor algorithm there, you know, to hone in yep. on that gaming style and do their thing. Sometimes they fail. And sometimes, you know, it's just not quite as cool or fun. But this game I grabbed and I did. I played this for about an hour and had a blast with it and was nice. trying to beat my high scores. This is called Beckon the Hailspawn by Loki Striker. On the Pico and, 8. Yeah, it's not anything crazy different than Vampire Survivors, but it does have a lot of twists that I find kind of cool. Like, like you can see, like, these chests drop and you hover over the chest and you have to wait until the red sphere expands into the circle. So you kind of are stuck in that circle until it grows enough to open up the chest. And then it zaps a bunch of enemies and drops a bunch of the little diamonds that let you get weapons, just like the vampire survivors kind of motif. I had a blast with it. It was a lot of fun. It's a Pico eight game. So you'll get a couple hours of fun out of it and that'll be it. But it, it it does rank among the better vampire survivor style clones on or not clones, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but back in the hell spawn on Pico eight, I, I, this is one I downloaded and had a lot of fun with. There were a lot of different characters you can play. A lot you could be the apprentice, ups. the purifier, the storm caller, the possessed, the yep. moonkin. I want to be the possessed. All right. I'm going this way. So I guess that this little, thing, you have to walk them into my, that's your weapon, yeah. So my that, weapon whenever here. that hits enemies, that turns them into those little diamonds. Not sure. And then watch what's going to happen. So as you, there you go. So now you up. get to pick. Yep. I mean, I, yeah, I, I will absolutely be, <laughs> give this a shot. Vampire uh, Survivor is fun. Oh man, it's one of my favorite indie titles of the last three years. I love that game, and I still launch it now and then and play it and have a blast with it cool but if you don't uh have it try beck in the hell spawn on pico 8 and with pico 8 you can play this online on the website all i just day was long, or you can just load it into pico 8 on whatever device you're playing pico 8 stuff on while you're at work you know whatever <laughs> exactly exactly so i don't have a link for this i i will give my credit to um to uh oh shoot what's <laughs> i'm totally blanking on the podcast i always listen to uh, I need to give them the proper credit because that's where I heard it. Uh, Pixel Guiden? Ooh, that is, a, that is a good one. The Retro Warriors. Okay. Uh, and I, they talked about this. I remember hearing it and then hearing this this piece of news, and I have to, I have to laugh about it. So here's the news item. Square Enix buys Tomb Raider franchise back from Embracer Group for $600 million. That's now, a here's, lot. That is a lot. Now, here's the funny thing. Embracer Group is one of those large investment firms. They just buy stuff. <clears throat> Right? Yeah. They're all about yep. acquiring things for a lot of money and selling them. And uh, they have some, a lot of video game franchises now and things. Here's the funny thing. Last year, not even a full year ago, Embracer Group purchased a whole bunch of different IPs from Square Enix, including the Tomb Raider franchise, for $300 million. 
Oh. <laughs> so that means in less than a year, Square Enix sold Tomb Raider for 300 and bought it back for 600 hmm. What on earth is going on over there? <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> what are they trying to do? That doesn't sound like... Like they're too savvy with the money there. Or or there's some kind of funny money, whatever going on. I don't yeah. know. But hey, I don't know. That's that's some weird stuff right there. Cody's new is up the weird, weird, weird. Um New Zedic Spectrum game. This one I saw this one too, Eric, but uh tell us yep. about it. So I actually have two games to talk about. This one's called Bruxalico. Is that am I am I doing that right? Sure, let's go with let's go with Bruxalico. Bruxalico, and it is a platformer, but it has an interesting you know, with spec with with ZX Spectrum games, they um, they always have kind of the same kind of graphics to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. This one is a little different. This one it has a like, different art style, almost like an ASCII. Yeah, I was going to say Petsky ASCII kind of a thing. Yep. Yep. So almost like the kind of the because lately, you know, there have been these Petsky games on the Commodore sixty four. Petsky is exclusive to Commodore sixty four, but this is almost like an ASCII, but very colorful. Um, the clash looks more like almost like just transparency. So it kind of gives an odd depth to the sprites of the, of the gameplay. Um, I honestly haven't seen a game quite like this on ZX spectrum. Well, the gameplay is interesting too, because you're a this little, um, it's like skull, a, animal skull headed creepy yeah. dude. But, uh, the enemies that come at you, you have a punch, a giant punch, almost like, um, what dynamite ducks remember when we played dynamite ducks i do remember that. this is like his foot though right so you're just going right and left and punching that looks like a hand to me i guess it could be now to me it looks like a hand but you could say it's a foot i guess i don't know but you're just going left and right and punching things or kicking things that's it yeah at least from what we're looking at here you got three hearts and you try to stay alive and i guess waves of enemies and they're they're kind of funny and bizarre cartoonish enemies and interesting yeah, it looks like a really neat little game for ZX Spectrum. So, now this uh, I'm excited. One. To, I'm excited about this one. Is this? Um, well, yeah. Tell me about this one. So, yeah, this one I'm excited about too. And I very close was very close to downloading this, and I ran out of time. But this is Super Bomberman Two Remix. Remix and it is, I guess, a Bomberman game, but it's supposed to have very. Um, interesting and fun modes in this game and i i don't want to get any further because i didn't i didn't download the game and play it but they really kind of spent some time building different type of games inside of within the super bomberman to keep it fresh keep it new because bomberman can get kind of old um but this one's supposed to have some interesting gameplay elements and interesting game modes to to keep it fun and the graphics look amazing on this i mean this looks better than any Bomberman game like on any 8-bit system that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, this looks that. fantastic. It's sharp. It's very sharp, and the colors look really nice, too. So um, I would recommend checking this out. I'm gonna, I am going to buy this and download it and, and, and try it out. I love Bomberman fun. games, so this should be fun. Yeah, we Super need to do some, Bomberman 2 Remix. We need some multiplayer Bomberman stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is the last one from me. But I had to talk about it. So this one's another kind of news of the weird, in my opinion. It's it's funny to me. But Eric, there is a a, a series of games. They're kind of low budget games, but uh, they're horror games. And horror games, um, you know, in the vein of like Resident Evil, kind of the survival horror genre. 
It's not too yeah. many of them anymore. They're kind of not uh, in, in vogue at the moment. Um, so if you were going to release a low-budget horror game uh, that is the third of a trilogy called Silver Falls, mm-hmm. uh, this one's called Silver Falls White Inside, we'll see if this is a good plan or not. But um, first of all, would you re- release it on a different system than you've ever released one on before? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. But, you know, if, you know, let's say we were going to release it for the PlayStation 4 or the Switch, because those are the new current system. Right. No, the developer of Silver Falls decided they were going to release their game solely on one system, and that is the Wii U. <laughs> so in 2023, you can buy a horror game called Silver Falls, but only if you have a working Wii U laying around your, sh- your house. That is something. That, that, is, that is something. something. Um, so I'll click on it. You can see their website's really kind of amateurish. It's kind of funny, but here you go. You can download the press kit here and, uh, check out this game. There you go. It'll soon launch in 2023 on the Wii U. So So. like, from what I understand, the shops for Wii U are done. So you can't do, you can't buy stuff from the shop anymore. They retired the shop. The Wii they did. I don't think they've done it to the Wii U yet. Okay. But that might be coming soon. So is this like a physical only game, I wonder? I'm I'm curious about that. You know, I'm trying to remember what I had heard. Because I'm um, wondering how if it if they release this for the Wii U, how do you get it on the you Wii U? You have to like download it on your PC and like sideload it on your Wii. <laughs> I have no idea. Something. <laughs> uh, that, that, that is very strange to me. That is very strange. I, I mean, I would like I to know more about this just to figure that out, but Man, talk about writing for a system that just that just does it sounds like a dead end to me. But well, Eric, if you hey. want to know more, check our show notes and click on the link. Exactly. People are passionate about it. I'm okay with that. I'm going to read one for Tim here, and then Eric, you can finish this up. There's a new conversion of Juan Martinez's Night Night for Atari 8 bits. Uh, this is for the ABBUC software contest in 2023 by Lars Langhens who I'm, I'm assuming is porting the game. The final date for sending in submissions is 31st of July, 2023. And then submissions will be released after that. So while we have to wait yet, uh, Juan will keep us updated when it is available. So know that there is yet another version of Night Night coming out. Of course, I enjoy uh, the Commodore version and the Spectrum version. Or no, yeah. is it the Spectrum and the MSX version? That's right. That's right. I think I pers- first played on the MSX. I think and, I did too. Yep. And now there's an Atari 8-bit version of Night Night, which is a great yeah. game. Yep. Fantastic. Last one, my friend. Yep. So this is a mashup of Zelda, like Legend of Zelda style game and Studio Ghibli. Um, it is called Cloa, Child of the Forest. Wow. Um, if you have a video, if you look down there and see if there's a video of this, you should play this because yep. this game is very retro-inspired. It's so the graphics are, you know, very pixely, but they are beautiful in this game. Um, it, it definitely is a Zelda style game, but from what oh, wow. I watched in the gameplay, it, it there's a dash element. See how there's like the yeah. that she dashed, and when, when you're in combat, it's basically an action kind of RPG style game where you're dashing around and you're striking dash to avoid attack like i love that mechanic in a game where it's like very action oriented yeah it's not turn-based um, when you're in combat c- correct so 
This is really neat. Well, this Man. one's not turn-based when you're in combat. This is action combat. Correct. correct. Um, which I like. I like better. It just keeps my interest a lot more. Well, let me see if yeah, see how the do you see the how the combat is? Yeah, for sure. And there was a blocking element in there as well as dashing, but the graphics are just beautiful in this. So it is a Kickstarter that I believe has already met its goal almost like it's almost twice as much twice. I'm, I'm talking like an idiot now. <laughs> it has doubled what it was asking for on Kickstarter. So this well is going to happen, but I think it looks fantastic. And I, I might pick this up. I might actually do the Kickstarter and pick it up. Yeah, no, this does look really great. And it does look very studio Ghibli. And it also yeah. looks like great gameplay. Um, like that big bear. Oh man, that's cool. What? I'm sorry. What system did it say? Is I it think Steam? this is for just PC. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I added myself to the wish list on Steam. Okay. Um, so it's going to be PC, but I think that if you know, like typical Kickstarters, if if goals are met, they'll do other platforms and blah blah blah. Yeah, I would pick this up on uh, Switch in a heartbeat. Man, yeah. that's pretty. That is cool. Yeah, that's Thank it. You. Thank you, Eric, for wrapping up the news. Thank you. Um. If you guys want us to cover any news items and your patrons, feel free to uh, let us know in the Discord. Yes. We've never we done that before, that. but, um, you know, there's news we missed, I'm sure. As tuned, yeah. as, as tuned in as we are, Eric, I'm sure we missed some news. Right. Um, no, it's not missing any of the news. Our Battle of the Systems. Battle of the Systems! <laughs> Alright, and as we mentioned earlier in the show, this battle, Eric chose it for us, and it is a battle of the pricey 8-bit cartridges, I suppose, is how you put it. I think um, so. We're going to talk about Little Samson on the NES versus my pick... I say my pick just because I've been wanting to play this game, but it's the most expensive game on the Master System uh, that was regularly made available, and that is Golden Axe Warrior. Correct. A Golden Axe game, you say? Ah, but it is (laughs) not necessarily. It is, but it is not. So, Eric, do you have any dry hard facts for us? I do. Which one do you want to start with? I'll let you pick. Uh, Let's let's go in the order we talked. Little Samson. All right. So let's talk about Little Samson. Little Samson is a platforming game that came out in 1992, developed by Takeru and published by Taito Taito? for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was released in Japan on June 26, 1992, and in North America on October 22, 1992, and in Europe on March 18th, 1993. Um, It is single-player only. Um, and I think that's about it for the dry stats. Let me talk talk us through the intro real quick. So this game, um, it's what's cool about it. It has some cut scenes to begin with. They're animated. They're not just, um, you know, dry cut scenes with words. In fact, there are no words. So it's almost like an Ikea instruction guide. You don't need language to understand (laughs) what's going on. It kind of shows you this, this prince, um, you go to the king, and then there's like evil fairies and things. Um, first of all, this is gorgeous as far as the NES is concerned. Oh, the amount of colors and the, the artistry on this thing, uh, you can tell it was a late title. So I want to get that yeah. out of the way first and foremost. 
as I played this, I it smacks you right in the face. Like this is a later title where the programmers knew what they were doing and everything looks very polished and colorful and, and very good. For sure. Um, tell me what you thought about the game, Eric. I want you to go first on this yeah, one. So, so I, I played this a lot and I played it on my regular Nintendo. Um, and it, Reminded me right away of Mega Man, which is odd yes. because this is by Taito and Mega Man is by Capcom. Um, well, let me touch on that real man, quick. Go ahead. So I, I, it felt very Mega Man to me as well. So I had to look this thing up. And as you mentioned, it's published by Taito, but it was created by that. What was the other name? Takiro or whatever it was. Yeah. And that was yeah, a company. A, that was a okay. company created by uh, one of the creators of Mega Man. That he left really? Cap- Capcom as well as another, uh, I can't remember what game it was, another creator of a, a Capcom fran- franchise, I think Strider and another game. And they were, um, they were, they teamed up with another creator from another game. I don't have it all on me. I should probably should have written this, written this all down. But basically, a bunch of creators that felt like they were being limited in their creativity, probably because he was making like eight Mega Man games. Um, and they said, let's, let's start our own company. And this is actually the third game they released. And um, unfortunately, they released at the very end of the Nintendo cycle, so it just didn't get much interest at all. There wasn't a lot of marketing for it, so it was a complete flop. Um, although, spoiler alert, it's an amazing game and should not have been a complete slop, uh, flop. Anyways, no, that's, why it feels, that's why it feels Mega Man to you, I'm sure. So, sorry, continue. Yeah. Nope, nope, so that's perfect. So one thing that caught me, um, I thought this is going to be little Samson and you're playing this little dude and you're running through these levels and they, they scroll up and down, they scroll left and right. Um, you, you have a jump button, you have a fire button. Uh, you can, with the dude, you can cling onto walls. So like when you jump, you can hit the button again and you will grab the wall and then you can climb up and down the wall. But the one thing that really kind of, took me by surprise was the twist in that when you're finished the level, you're no longer the little dude, the little Samson dude, you become a dragon in the second level and you are a dragon and you have different mechanics. You can hit the button over and over and kind of flap your wings and fly. Um, you, your fire, I think it's a fireball for the dragon that doesn't follow a straight line. It kind of curves a little bit. Yep. Um, and if you hold it down, it actually powers up into a big blast instead of just small blast, purely for the yep. dragon. Just for the dragon. So every character has his own little mechanics. And so and by cool, the time I, you get... Go ahead. I, I, just want, I just want to point out what I love about the game is it totally eases you into it, too, without any words. Because the first four levels are little mini levels, just like you said, where you try each character. And you yep. play through a mini level that kind of forces you to use their new abilities and you do it in like two minutes each. So it's just a really quick introduction to each character. Yep. Absolutely. And then I'll let you take it there. Yeah. The third one is like a rock dude, right? If I remember right. Yeah. Big old rock um, golem who can punch really hard in multiple directions. Punch real hard. And he, he's, he's kind of doesn't jump really high. Um, so, he, you know, it's a harder, he has a harder moving uh, mechanic, but, and slower. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, he's kind of just this big rock guy. And then the last guy, I don't remember which one was the last guy, because there's four. The mouse. The mouse, that's right. And the mouse starts off with very little health. Um, 
And, but he can grab like the roofs and the, and just like the first guy could, but you're going to really need it because he, he kind of fits into tighter spaces. And it's interesting because it does play to the mouse's kind of strengths. Yep. Um, and he drops almost like bombs, like the, these yeah. little things that explode behind him. Mouse turds. So you have to, t- what, what are they? <laughs> I'm calling them mouse turds. Yeah, they're like these little white mouse turds. They explode and they destroy whatever (laughs) you're trying to blow up with your turds, I guess. Um, So that's an interesting mechanic. And then you play through that level. And then, and at the end of every level, there's a little animation of a soldier that comes and gets you and you walk away. Um, That's really where the game starts. This is kind of where the game starts. You're right. So um, I'll let you take it over from here. So at this point, you're kind of like, oh, okay, so I just got introduced to all these characters. There's another cutscene um, where you have these bells. Apparently, each each character has their own bell, which is like their life force or something. Again, it's not written, so I don't know exactly. Um, but just like Mega Man, you have a little map of where, you, where you're at and where you're trying to go. And then you start these real levels, which are fairly long levels. And during the levels, you're going to pause every so often and switch characters for a few different reasons. One, just there's parts of the levels that are designed where you want to use certain characters to make it easier to get by those parts. For example, the dragon flying over a bunch of, uh, you know, large gorges, um, or being able to cling to walls with either the mouse or little Samson, um, the rock guy being able to break rocks, which the other people can't, but then you also only have uh, so much health with each character. So if a character is low in health, you can switch to a different one that has health. Um, just like in mega man with his power ups. If you, if you see, um, an ability that's going to help fill up your life. You can hop to another character and grab that to fill up their life instead of your current character. But uh, it becomes, a, I hate to say puzzle platformer in that way because it's not. It's a true run-and-gun platformer just like Mega Man, but with that kind of puzzle element added in about which character do I want to try to get past this part and do I want to switch to this character. And um, it's a, a, It uses your mind in a good way. Yeah, definitely. And how, how did you deal with the bosses? How, what did you think about the bosses? The bosses are big and cool. Uh, well, I they take are. it back. There, there's kind of mini, there's kind of some mini bosses and then there's big bosses. So there's like these mini bosses, which, um, you know, are very much akin to like a Mega Man boss. I'm trying to scroll to one here, which is like a character that comes out and follows a pattern and shoots at you and then does something else, goes somewhere else and then shoots at you again. You kind of learn the pattern um so that's that's kind of the little boss and those are fun they're kind of mega many and then usually some giant boss kind of like this guy comes out and uh again it felt very mega many to me in the way that you kind of have to figure out which character you want to attack with and how how to you got to play it four or five times maybe more in the later bosses to figure out the strategy so they're not pushovers but once you've got them figured out the next time you go back there you can beat them right off the bat because you've learned how to do it i love that mechanic personally yeah, I mean, I, I, for this particular boss right here, this um, I beat the first one, and then I had a real hard time beating the the second one. I didn't know that you could switch characters. I'm an idiot. Oh, really? <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm like little Samson. And I, got, I beat the first boss. I got through that whole level. I played the first one, and then I didn't realize you could switch the characters, which makes total sense now. And I think somehow I knew that, but I didn't know where you did that. But it's in the pause menu. Uh, it's either right? pause or select. I can't remember the button. Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. Okay. And then the other uh, you know ability is while you're doing these things, you can pick up these flasks, 
And those flasks, which would be similar to like the e-pellets on Mega Man, basically, if you use a flask, it fills up your life bar. The okay. catch there, of course, is that you have to have you have to be the character without a flask when you grab a flask to gain a flask. So you might have your dragon character already has a flask, but your your stone guy doesn't. So if you see a flask pop up, switch to your stone guy and pick up that flask so that he gets one. Oh, um, that's that's interesting. So yeah, there's a lot of kind of those switching mechanics, and again, I think it came more naturally to me because of my history with Mega Man. But um, yeah it's a really fun game and the levels all feel very different in the in their feel not only their design but color palettes and uh and background imagery and um uh, now what what i will say is there's one i don't want to say drawback i'll just say it there's one the weakest part of the game is the music um and you might not have realized this in fact you might have thought the music never changed if you didn't realize you could change characters Right. Because each character has its own kind of theme song that plays when you're that character, and that, to my knowledge, is the entire game. So every time Throughout you switch to the, the dragon, game, yeah. Okay. Every time you switch to the dragon, you're going to get the dragon music. Every time you switch to the mouse, you're going to get the mouse music. Um, and none of them are. I would say that none of them are particularly memorable. The only reason they're memorable is because you're going to hear them constantly. Yeah, so I'll say that would be the drawback. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't remember the music in my head, but I do remember there was different music for every character, but I only saw that in the training level, so <laughs> I just assumed it was a different level, so there was different music. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Do you have anything cool. else to add to this game from your perspective? I think you probably nope. didn't get terribly far. I didn't get of- terribly far. I got to that final boss a couple of times, and I just didn't have the health to beat him, which makes sense because I should have used four characters and spread that health. <laughs> That's that one health way to damage do it. among yep. four For characters. Sure. Yeah. For sure. So so that I was playing it wrong. I don't, I'm not going to hold that against the game. So there's a, a few levels here I need you to see since they're, they're pretty cool. There's a level here where you're on this giant crab walking underground. And you yeah, got these things cool. shooting at you, and you have to like duck under caves and stuff while this gigantic crab is just walking. <laughs> it's a really detailed crab, too. It looks almost like too high def for the rest of the game. It's kind of um, out of place. Yeah. But uh, let's see. I got... And then there's some of these bosses. Uh, here's another kind of gigantic boss. This boss was kind of cool because he's really hard until he figured out how much damage the rock eye does to him. So you just waited for him to... This big dragon thing to come out of the ground, and you just punch it in the mouth like crazy um <laughs> so he would end up being very easy once you figured it out this is the last level i was able to get to and it was uh, quite convoluted there's a lot of stuff on here it's this kind of space looking level with it these is, blocks yeah. that either sh- uh they're, they're you can always step on them but they either show themselves or else they disappear into the background so you kind of have to know where they are and uh this is kind of where i stopped but um I loved this game, and I want to go back and continue. I will beat this game. This is excellent. I can't believe I have never played it before. Um, it's a little quirky. I'm not going to say it's as good as a Mega Man game, in my opinion. It's definitely different, and it's definitely solid gameplay. A pretty, pretty darn good level design. The sound is kind of the only drawback to me. Um... So uh, let's see. What do these games have in common? There, there, there are a lot of money. So out of eight hundred U.S. American dollars, <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I'm going to give this one a solid. I mean, I really like it. 
708. Wow. That's high praise. 708 American dollars. I out of 800, I'm going to give it 690. Okay, we're pretty close. All right. Yeah. I liked it. I I really enjoyed my time with it even and now that I know that you can switch characters, I think if I went back, I think I'd have a better time with it and probably get past the first boss. Good choice, Eric. Good choice. Cool. Now give us some more so, raw stats. Yep. So let's talk about Golden Axe Warrior. Golden Axe Warrior is a role-playing video game action-adventure style developed and published by Sega. It was released on the Master System in 91 um, as a spinoff of the Golden Axe video game series, which is interesting because I did read um, that when this game came out, people were upset because it wasn't a typical Golden Axe game, which Golden Axe, for people that don't know, was an arcade game that was kind of a top-down game that was... A beat-em-up. Yeah, like a beat-em-up game, yep. Well, Streets of Rage yeah, or Golden Final Axe, Fight. It wasn't a top-down. It was more of a left and right. Yes, just like uh, yeah, right. Streets of Rage or Final Correct. Fight or that kind of a game. I misspoke. Um, it is more of a... Uh, kind of a Legend of Zelda Willow style game, kind of like a top down. In fact, it very much is. And we'll talk about this more very similar to uh, a Zelda style game. Um, it came out on master system, PlayStation three and Xbox 360. There were some uh, releases for that. It is a single player game. Uh, it was released in April, 1991 for North America and in in all I have here for information is that it came out in the PAL regions in 1991 as well. Um, that's it for the dry statistics on that. Gotcha. So I kind of wanted to pick this game uh, for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main one is it's always considered one of the best games on the Master System in similar mm-hmm. vein to Little Samson. It was released near the end. Didn't get that many copies out there. Uh, and it's got that action RPG um, Zelda clone thing going on, which, you know, if, if you remember, one of my favorite, actually two of my favorite games are the uh, the Zelda clones on, well, pretty much all the Zelda clones. I love Crystallis on the NES. I absolutely loved, yeah. um, I'm blanking on the names, but the two on the PC Engine, TurboGrafx, um, Newtopia and Newtopia 2. Yep. Really yep. cool action, you know, flip screen action arcade games or action uh, RPG games. And then you just look at the the colors and uh, everything on this game, and it looks like an upgraded Zelda type of a game. <clears throat> with great graphics. Almost feels, um, it's got the helmet with the horns on it, so it almost feels like a Dragon Warrior type of a look. Um, so that's what drew me to it. But maybe you can run through the gameplay and, and give your opinion of this game. Yeah, and and without giving away the plot here, I, I um, this to me, if, if I had to describe this game in a nutshell, it is a Zelda clone where they made every single thing in Zelda better. Okay, like every little element they made better. It's more colorful. It, it's more smooth. It it I I think the the menu management is better. The way they do. The, the the way the puzzles are done in this game is is to me better than in Zelda. Um, I I think this is even though it is a ripoff of Zelda for sure, 
it to me is better in almost every single way. Gotcha. Um, it, but it really, it just follows the same thing on every level. It's a, it's a flick screen. So on every level you go on, if, if you clear brush away and look around on a level, there's almost always some kind of secret on the level, whether it's a bonus thing you find or a stairwell that you find that you go down into a little room and find other bonuses and stuff. Um, there are shops around where you can upgrade your weapons, your armor, all that kind of good stuff. Same as Zelda. Um, the plot of the game, if I remember, I wrote some notes here. Um, you're supposed to locate nine crystals in the world. You mean instead um, of building the seven pieces of the Triforce? That's exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, in the bottom, bottom part of the screen, there is a place where you can see all the crystals that you're collecting. Um, there is life that is shown as little hearts, shows you the active weapon that you have, as well as these little magic containers showing you your magic level. Um, oh, one thing I thought was really cool um, around the game, as you progress through the game, you will find some of the classic characters of Golden Axe, like, you know, the gnome dude. I forget his name now. Um, basically, the yeah. classic characters are embedded in the game as little NPC characters. So. You come across those. Um, and the cool thing that when you face the character, the music changes and it's the music for that character from the original golden ax game. I don't know if you yeah, noticed yeah. that. I did not notice that, but that's cool. That's very cool. The in, in game currency are the, are horns that you find around. So right. collect- how many horns does this cost? Exactly. So like something will cost like five horns or 30 horns or whatever. And you got to collect the horns to buy those things. Um, there are secrets. Like I said, on almost every single flick screen level, there are secrets that you can uncover on the overworld, not within the buildings and stuff like that. Um, let me see what else. The um, Oh, one thing I've, uh, so I played this maybe three hours and I didn't need a walkthrough at all. I don't know. Okay. Like usually with a game like this, like if I get stuck or something, I get a walkthrough and then it helps yeah. me with either getting past a puzzle or something like that. No walkthrough necessary. I enjoy the only thing that stopped me was lack of time. I could have, I, I have a good feeling about this game that I could get to the end without referencing any kind of online walkthrough. That's good and, because the original Zelda, that was a, a huge detractor, yep. at least for me in the modern age. I know when kids were young and we had all the time in the world, like the fact that we could put 40 hours into that game trying to figure out how to beat it was a good thing. But yep, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> and the only other thing I have was there was some confusion. There's a magic balloon that you can find in the game. And when you find that, it doesn't let you fly around, but it does give you the ability to see the whole map. Oh, okay. Um, other than that, it's if you like Zelda or are familiar with Zelda, this is a Zelda this is a Zelda like game and you'll be right at home. It's almost the mechanics are almost exactly the same. I agree, Eric. Okay. I agree with everything that you just said with one issue. Yeah. I don't like the original Zelda. <laughs> I don't either. I um, mean I I don't want to say I don't like it. It's not my cup of tea, I guess, is a better way to frame it. I recognize it for the fun you could have had as a kid getting that game and the hours of gameplay you could have gotten out of it. It's not a game I'd want to go to, and it's mainly because of the puzzle elements. I'm just not into that kind of game. 
so, but so yeah, to, to get to the, the rest of my point, um, the same way you didn't get a full picture, a full flavor of the last game because you didn't know about the, uh, the menu and switching characters. Yeah. When I loaded this game up, I got excited. It looked great. And uh, I was all excited about it. been wanting to play it for a long time. Within a few minutes, I'm like, man, this is so Zelda that it's not even a clone at this point. It's almost like a palette swap. Like, it feels exactly like Zelda. And right. I don't like the original Zelda. I don't... Which I is weird, because you wanted to play this game. <laughs> well, because every Zelda clone I've played, I've loved. Okay, yeah, yeah. All of them I've liked more than Zelda. Okay, okay, um, I, this, I, I get what you're saying. This was a clone, like, again, to the, the way the combat work, the way the characters move. They're different graphics and stuff, but the, the characters move, you know, identical. Um, at least the early ones. I started flip screen through a bunch of bushes. When you go back, all the enemies that were just there that you killed are back. Um, you have to attack random bushes to try to find secret passageways and stuff. I was searching yes, around for 15 minutes, couldn't find a temple or anything, just kept killing stuff, gaining horns. and um, I did not give this one that much of a chance because I hated it instantly. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> that is the absolute truth. I mean, yeah. th- the way the bushes are laid out in like this super mathematical like grid square way the same color green the same color bushes like it just it was so zelda now now that i actually saw some footage of some of the dungeons watching this here yeah see there you just had to attack a bush to find this hole i hate that anyway um <laughs> it just i i don't know i just it, it creeped me out because it was so similar but um it does look like there's some advantages to this game some of the dungeons look pretty fun um, I maybe I need to try to give this more time and give it another chance, but I'm yeah. gonna stick with my original review. It, it's it, it, to me, it may, maybe it makes things that you think were not as good as uh, in the original Zelda and made them better. But the things that it didn't touch, and probably rightly so, since they were trying to copy that formula, it was so popular. The things they left were the things that I don't like about Zelda. So, anyways, that's, that's, I- that's where I fell. The one last thing I'll say about this is that this game is a reminder to me how it's kind of a tragedy that the Sega Master System did so poorly here in the U.S. The what, One thing that always impresses me about the Sega Master System is, and I'm just going to say it, I'm sure I, I might get some negative feedback on this from some listeners. It, it In ways, sometimes it looks better to me than the original Nintendo. Oh, it does. It does. It's a. It's. It's technically, I think, superior. The color palette's better. Yes. Um. Yeah. So the color palette. The controller. Is better. The, the controller the me- is much worse. Okay, that's fair. That's and fair. I think that honestly, for me, that was a big part of it. But I don't know. Yeah. In the marketing efforts, I'm sure we're we're worse. I think the music but. is fantastic in, in some games, and this game is, has decent music. Um, it just reminds me that man. In ways, this is a superior machine. It still did way worse than... And that's a credit to Nintendo, but it's a shame that Sega Master Systems just didn't do so great here. I guess that's my... To this day, that's always worked for Nintendo. The Game Boy was black and white when there were color systems out, and Nintendo did it better. To this day, the Nintendo Switch, and it's underpowered compared to its competitors, but it is like the most popular, you know, system, and Nintendo did it better. Yep, you're right. 
And by did it, I think they typically mean game design and marketing is, is typically where they do it. So, all right. So out of 800 American mm-hmm. US dollars, what are you going to give Golden Axe Warrior? I'm going to give it 600 out of 800. 600. So you admit that it is not the better game. That's For right. me, in the time I spent with it, without changing my score at all, 372. Woo! <laughs> I have a Woo! hard time. It is so Zelda, it just leaves the taste of bile in my mouth. Yeah. Um, so. I get it. I, get, I, I think I did enjoy it more than you. I... I I thought it was fun. I thought it was a fun game, but I will say that especially now I'm just thinking about when I'm going to crack open little Samson again and go, cause now I know what to do. I'm looking forward to it where this game, I probably won't go back to now for people. And there are a lot of them who love the original Zelda play this game. If you this are game. ever like, man, I want more of that original Zelda. This is, yep. this is it. Do it. You may love this game. You I mean, will. This may, I, I would I'm say you favorite. will love it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Cool beans. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, so that's everything we had planned for today on Pixel Guide. And remember, on the 30th of April, 2023, we're going to have Tim on the show, do a little game show action. We're going to talk about six good arcade sequels. That's games that were sequels to other arcade games. So both have to be arcade games. Um, and we're going to catch up. We got some more quick questions. We got a game show. Yes. And good times ahead. Perfect. Eric, well done uh, not touching your microphone this episode. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's been really hard. And uh, let's go ahead and say goodbye to the good people. So remember, in true Zelda fashion, by the way. Yes. It's, it's dangerous, dangerous to go oh. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixel guiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. I'll get you next time, Pixel Guiden. <laughs>